to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Yeah, and Mike, we're coming back in for chapter 43 today. And I think you picked up an old but familiar, or or rather new but familiar, I guess, uh, (laughs) bottle of wine. What are you trying to say, Derek? (laughs) We've had this before. Sort of. Yeah, what do you got? So uh, we've tried the winery before. It's Cellador Winery. That's the like local one in they're, Maine. They're local in Maine, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I loved going to their tasting room before uh, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is an American rosé wine called Theron. Oh, And it's okay. uh, 2017. We did a little bit off the back here. Um, you guys already know the the hobo story going on, marking that H there. <laughs> Carving H's on random doors. Another Halleck. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, but this one is a fresh, fruity, and bone-dry wine. Our Grenache Rosé has notes of pink grapefruit, pomegranate, and, of course, spice. spice. Always spice. <laughs> Always spice. Oh, man. Well, I can, I can definitely, like, the dryness, I think I would chalk that up a lot to that grapefruit flavor. Yeah, okay. I, you you I get, get that, that kind yeah. of that tartness almost to sure, it in, yeah. like, the finish of it. Uh, and it, it definitely lifts up. It's bone dry at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel my tongue just like clear out. <laughs> like there's like a circle. You're wheezing over there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little much. I'm not a huge fan of this uh, final note on it. Mm. You you know me. I always love the really dry wines, mm-hmm. but this one's nice because of that finish. It almost reminds me of like a, a liqueur. Or even I, like a liquor. I can see it. It's, it's, I mean, it's very complex for yeah. like the rest of the wine. And it bites. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, if you have any uh, cocktails that involve a little bit of like wine in it, I think this would be really awesome. Ooh, oh, Mike, if there was a book four in Dune, that could have been the trend we do. Oh! Wine cocktails? Damn it. Could have been it. But alas, he stops at three. <laughs> Well, Celador. We got appendices, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, Whoa. shit, we do. <laughs> we can skew it in there. That would, that's a great idea, actually. Oh, maybe. Three appendices, three cocktails. Why not? Oh. Why not? Maybe the people should let us know if they want that or not. Yeah, we've just added some episodes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, okay. But we'll leave this wine behind. Let's, let's head into this chapter, Mike, and a little right. bit of our... Uh, quote that we come into was familiar um it reminded me a lot of the one with jessica telling paul about uh, having religion and politics in the same cart it starts yeah. going faster faster and you don't see the ledge mm-hmm. what did uh, what did you pull out of this quote here we're talking I about like actually, law and duty united well, besides by the religion. fact that it's from the 99 wonders of the universe yeah now what? is moody talking about the 99 wonders of the universe or is moody one of the 99 wonders of the universe Ooh, i think it would be moa deeb's take on the 99 Wonders of the Universe. Written by Princess Irulan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how else you would twist that. To be like, Muad'Dib, the 99 Wonders of the Universe. <laughs> he is, is comfortably 99. You always come back for more, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> Anywho, so pushing, pushing you away from the title. <laughs> what I now realize was a joke based on a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Tie me into the chapter. All right. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's all you got? Well, no, because... Yeah. No, I, obviously. I agree. <laughs> um, continue. Um, I think it's interesting because, like, when you talk about religion, it's, uh, I mean, more or less it's, in this context, it's about community. Mm-hmm. I think we talked a little bit about community as well last time when we were talking about Orthodox. Yes. Um, and the fact that, like, once you're part of that, 
you can never really truly be alone because if you are alone, you're not part of that community. Right. So I, mean, I it was just an interesting uh, philosophical take, I think, on religion. Okay. I, I kind of came coming from a very similar spot of like, so you're highlighting community there. Mm. I'm seeing this more as like, so it's saying law and duty are one, united by religion. You never become fully conscious. You know, you're never fully aware of yourself. Mm. I'm thinking that in this like law and um, the religion are sort of like the two opposite sides of like your personal life and your private life in a way. Mm -hmm. And that by having this religion suffused through both, like it's like both these things are being affected by it. So now my personal life and my private life, or rather, I guess I want to say public life and private life. Yeah. I was going to say like personal and private. Oh my God. I totally say, yeah, I'm thinking like personal, like my friends and stuff (laughs) where I'm personal, but no, your private and your public life is what I mean are kind of both um, suffused by the same like process now. And Mm -hmm. you're, you don't get to operate differently in either of them. Like maybe you would want to. Because if you're yourself, your law and duty are more or less to yourself. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're part of a religion, like, I mean, it also depends on what your religion is. Let's be honest yeah. about well, that. Well, no, no. Because we're so, what we're saying when law and duty are one, I think they're even maybe um, showing you here of like, perhaps law is coming from like your community and your duty right. is sort of like everything to your house and yourself. Right. And, but this religion is making it one thing now where we're blurring that line between community and self or kind of, I think where we are both coming from, like right. religion is obscuring this uh, wall that you could have between the but two. Like, even if you, uh, if you, even if you were to practice something privately, let's say mm-hmm. um, you're still sort of bound to like a code of ethics in a way is like, is what you're following. And you have that in common with whoever else is a part of that religion. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you don't, like, you know, call someone up or whatever, like, hey, how you doing? Or meet up every Tuesday or Sunday, for instance, then, like, you are still part of something bigger in a way. Mm -hmm. And, like, you always have the ability to reach out. Yeah. You're only, like, a degree of separation away that you can just bridge the gap on. Mm -hmm. And and now we're just, we're pushing that one degree further. Yeah. At least that's my take. Yeah. And uh, I think there's something that's said to be lost there when there are no more individuals within a society anymore. Mm. Like there, there's a loss to that. Uh, and I would think a sort of a debilitation where I, I think there's a lot of merit to the individual and that we get a lot of the individual. But certainly that's the society I was raised in and I've never experienced other. So there are no individuals within the frame. It's what we're sort of like the takeaway here. Um, I, I kind of actually think it's telling us more. Remember how we told you Paul's going to be a big changing factor. Mm. I think that's what Paul is doing right now. Paul is okay. So like they have like law and duty is separate, right? Mm. Kind of thing. They have these Fremen laws and our duty to the Siet and the tribe maybe. Um, but the religion, but the really, yeah, yeah. That's separate, right? The Siadinas mm. and all that. that is like, it's all tied together in the culture, but they have um, different jurisdictions, I would say, right? Okay. Paul's kind of overlapping all that now. And uh, I, I even, uh, I'm going to, as we go to this chapter, Mike, I feel like this is the chapter where the entire universe is forced through a crucible. I think everything changes this chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, yet what I think there's even one line is like a sum of decisions yes. finally comes to a head. Well, okay, so that no, no, that's just Paul making his personal choice for his plan. This though is like we're literally watching Fremen culture die today. This is the oh. last day. Well, 
I'll get you. It's all it's all in Stilgar. He is completely embodies this change today. Mm-hmm. But let's go ahead. Let's dive into this chapter because uh, it's going to be a while before we get to the Fremen. We got to start off with our old pal, <gasps> our old favorite man, Gurney, 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 motherfucking Halleck, <laughs> Troubadour Warrior of the Atreides. <laughs> so, and this is like another. Uh, I would love if we turn Dune into like a long format television. This is a great like mid season. You know, we're like, where's Gurney Ben? We haven't seen him. Cold open to the show. Spice factory flying over the desert. We zoom in on this bubble window off to the side of it. And you just see this grizzled face with an ink vine scar looking out through oil lenses over the horizon. And it's Gurney. It's smuggler Gurney at that. We're seeing him in his new station in life, and uh, he's doing pretty well for himself, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, we saw him negotiate his place with Tuick, and I think, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to be like, oh, it's like, was, did I mean Papa? But no, Esma. No, they're all Tuicks. They're all Tuicks, <laughs> yep. Uh, and I don't think we've touched bases with Gurney since then. We just know that uh, Thufir has been sending messages. Right, that's yep. correct. That was the only other reference. And that Paul had seen him in passing lines. Yes, thank you. Paul, they did cross paths. Think of that. With how much Gurney reacts here. And with how much Paul, like how warm Paul is, like you know he wanted to say something. Yep. Before, it, like it felt kind of cold, maybe. Or do I, you think he's just saying the right thing at the right time? Oh, oh, that's a good take. I don't know. I'm that, just going to spit everything that comes to mind. And you got, you got to. I don't know. You can't make heads or tail of Paul. And that's sort of intentional. Mm-hmm. So I really like the last thing you just touched on. Of like, what if Paul's playing it up a little bit? Hey. What if Paul is like um, the unfaithful narrator at this point? Because again, like I said, he's he's been to the end of the book. We're trying to catch up to him. So in a way, yeah, maybe he would. Now, obviously, I, with the way they hug and stuff, I get the feeling like he's very honest with Kearney. Um, but that's that's a great little uh, piece of intrigue there to be like, I wonder what's going on in Paul's head. Is he being honest with us? Give me some like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance vibes. Have you ever read that book? I'm in the middle of it right now. <gasps> Isn't it great? It's way better than I thought it was going to be. It is about neither we'll Zen Audible, or though. the Art okay. of uh, Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> Um, so Gurney's looking out through this window with his little oil lenses and he's watching a scout thopter and it's sort of out circling and there's a little patch of, uh, spice that we spotted, right? That we've mm. sort of signaled out and this thopter goes and it checks it out. It dips its wings in the signal to the spice patch because right now we can't use any radios. We're in a little radio right, silence. Right, right. So all these are visual cues done to each other. And, um, with that, um, this thopter that goes down, it breaks off from the grip, flies really low. The little dance. You will know it drops a little sensor too. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, it, there's a sensor that it flies low over the spice patch, and that's when it then does its little dance to be like, ooh, we got spice here. And it does a little signal. And uh, Gurney reacts like he's like, ooh, I like this spot. Steep in the desert. And that ridge, it provides uh, some protection. Mm-hmm. So. Gurney, though, he's not uh, hes not going to be hoodwinked easily. He's like, there could be Fremen in that ridge. Send some men to scan that thing, and then we'll physically go through, and we'll walk through that ridge. Right, right, like, right, right. We're going to make sure there are no Fremen here, because, like, like... We're in the middle of the desert, though. Chances are 
We're not going to run into anyone. Even better. I love that he calls it. It's This is Fremen country. <laughs> and I'm like, Fremen I country. love that saying. Lights a cigar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you shiftily looks left to right. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be in Fremen country. And oh. uh, with this, Gurney, he checks his gun. He goes aside. Just like, make this. Yeah, checks his weapons. Yep. And then has that thought of like, ooh, I hate that I can't use shields here. Yeah. It's like every Atreides has. Um, and he's going to lead the ground group through that ridge because yeah. that's the kind of leader Gurney is. Think, think of how much Gurney's had to change his fighting style too because we knew that Paul had to because he was trained by Duncan and Gurney and always with shields. Oh, okay. Just like, to, like the shield I mean, fighting? Yeah, he is a sword master, so I know like he can probably adapt. He's been at it for a long time, but he's also spent uh, most of his time like teaching people how to use shields. Mm, I would, well, let me push back on that and argue like, what about in the slave pits? Like, I don't know if he had a shield in there. I mean, he was there 40 years. I, I, no, it wasn't. He didn't get out, no, right? It wasn't 40 years. Oh, no, it wasn't 40 years. Remember, because he wanted to be a professional musician. He was going to go. It was, it was 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like, I think from like 18 to 35. Where did I get to 40? That's like how old he, I think he wanted to give him his whole life in the slave pits. Like born and raised. Like he's Bane coming out of the bottom of the slave pits. I've seen Bar- things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we each get one, Mike. It's good. <laughs> um, but so yeah, Gurney uh, only few. So, but yeah, I, I think he would be a little familiar with it. But I think that's a good point to say. Of at least all of his tactics, kind of thrown out the window. You have to rewrite the book while yeah. you're here to be like, how are we doing this? And it's a guerrilla war that you're fighting now. Mm-hmm. You're not the Atreides. You don't have a great house status that you're working with. I do really like the snapshot we have here, where like all the rules change. Not even just uh, within Paul and the house. Like even mm-hmm. just combat. Yeah, like, for everyone that's here. Like, yeah. Yeah, out the fair. window. And uh, with this, like, um, where he plans to lead them through the ridge, we have him telling, uh, Gurney telling us, like, you can't be too careful with the Fremen and the Harkonnen at each other's throats. We're just like, Ooh. all sides have, like, thrown up uh, some shit. So, like, no one is completely safe anymore. They know they're not supposed to be here, though. Yeah, that's a, a very weird point, I find. Where, yeah. like, I think Gurney drops the ball a lot in this chapter. Because he's the one in charge, more or less. That's yep. what it sounds like. And the whole way through, he's just like, this is a bad idea. Or, like, when he starts thinking of, like, well, this is a really great spot. I'm like, yeah, that's probably what the Fremen think, don't you think? <laughs> uh, it is a really good spot. It, it does seem like he kind of uh So, like, my first red flag is, like, we get down here and... It, Gurney's thinking about the Fremen, right? And he's like, we can trade them all the spice in the world, but, like, they are devils uh, on the warpath if you step foot where they forbade you to go. And they were so devilishly cunning of late. And I'm like, yeah, I loved, I loved sprinkling that in. That was really great. Um, and I do also wonder how long it took Gurney to notice the change in Fremen well, tactics. Well, he would have had to get familiar with their current tactics and then actually watch it progress and change over yep. that two-year period. Yeah, definitely. And I, I imagine you see that in the course of that first year, especially whenever Paul right. consecrated the Fedekin or the Fedekin. Oh, yeah, it's going to happen all the, all the way through, Mike. But here's the other thing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just like noticing the change. It's hearing the tales, the legends that are popping up. Those yes. Rumors yeah. Of like their their muadib yeah. that is going and like killing people, taking well, harkin we'll, it. We'll yeah, get, hold on, we'll get, don't don't spoil it to yet though. I, I hope read every, the chapter. I, know, I was gonna say I hope everyone read it, but yeah, I love that little bit. I just want to keep going in order though. All right, because uh, so Gurney looking out, he's having this feeling, and he this uneasy feeling is again the other red flag I kind of wanted to bring up, 
And he's sort of like, eh, it's not just because of the worm we saw, which again, legendary worm. He was, he was on the top there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It, well, no, 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 I'm sorry. He wasn't because he's on a carrier. He was on a carry-all? Yeah. He's, he's, he's right now, he's actually in a factory suspended in a carry-all. Oh, so you think he looked over and he saw the worm? Yeah, yeah. Gurney got something, but it's not what Paul then no, saw. No, 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 no. Yeah. Actually, I want to say that he was in the Thopter. Because that's a scouting Thopter probably looking for spice. Yes. The Fremen are the ones who put out the spice that they found. No, but Gurney's not in the scouting Thopter. I'm telling you, Gurney's in the factory. We were just watching the scouting Thopter from the factory. Oh, and I, the only thing I would bring up... The fact that he says we saw, though, makes me think that he was in the thought and saw the worm. <laughs> sure, sure. Hold on. The thing I've held up towards Mike, and what could maybe let us leap drop this whole thing, if, like, uh, all we get is Paul and Stilgar say, like, Ornithopter could be a carrier at that distance. You get what no. I'm saying? Paul's... No, okay. no. Paul's sharper than that. Mike, if you're going to just keep splitting hairs, <laughs> then... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to split some hairs. I'm not debating this one with you. Um, Gurney, though, he's got an uneasy feeling. He doesn't like it. And still, I just want to address the legendary worm size. I'm just like, this is the biggest worm anybody has ever seen, yeah. including the Fremen. You should turn around right now and just fucking leave. There's no reason to go out in the desert. And, yeah, because uh, they wouldn't know that it's going to be tired or anything. This doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, actually. <laughs> Thank you. It's going to keep getting worse then as I draw this up. <laughs> now, Gurney's in this little bubble. A head popped into the con bubble beside Gurney. A Gurney Gurney bubble, if you will? A Gurney bubble, yes, sir. The factory commander, a one-eyed old pirate with full beard and blue eyes and milky teeth of a spice diet. Literally a pirate. Literally the most cliche pirate in the world. (laughs) Why? I don't know. You Frank just wanted to include a pirate? Space pirates. He's like, I had this in here for a while. Um, yeah, I was like, I promised a friend if I wrote a book about sci-fi, I'd put in a space pirate. And he'll know it's him. <laughs> this might be some guy you knew in the Navy. <laughs> Probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote down Frank goes full pirate for no reason. <laughs> I deliberately did this. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Now, uh, Gurney instructs his commander uh, to drop down at the edge of the ridge. Mm-hmm. He wants to check that ridge out, and we yeah. can drive the factory in from there. So that'll work out fine. And uh, in case of trouble, to save the factory, his team will jump in the thopters. Like, yeah. save that factory. Do you think there's spice in that factory right now? Or just because it's the most valuable piece of equipment they have? I, that, exactly. Because they probably have to steal that. Yeah, yeah, very likely. Uh, and, like, I just imagine they don't have... If, like, Leto was crunched for it, the, the smugglers would yeah, crunch for it. that's like, fair. Get me that factory. Um, the commander salutes and leaves, and then uh, Gurney kind of goes back to Wait, scan. what's the commander's name? Ooh, oh, I don't got a name. Oh. He didn't get a name. Do you want to give me a name? This commander, he's uh, world famous. Uh, he's got a... It's going to be something beard, right? Sure. I don't want to do a color, because that's... That's even more cliche. Although he is a cliche man, isn't he? He is. Spice beard. I want to say like orange beard or spice beard. I think you got a spice beard. Grizzle beard. Melange spice beard. Because <laughs> he's French. <laughs> I wanted to do like a melange kind of thing, but. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. Captain Melange Captain, spice beard. Captain Melange. Melange. Oh, who's the famous pirate? Uh. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, no, that's yeah, a loaded that's question. What, <laughs> Cook. Uh, Morgan, Captain Morgan, what was his first name? Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I want to say Stanley Morgan, but I think that is an imperialist. Oh, 
I reversed Morgan Stanley. That's where that came from. <laughs> okay. Global Financial Solutions. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do we have an answer on that pirate? Yeah. Melange Spice Beard. Melange Spice Beard? That's his full name? Yep. If you wanted a beard, I'm not letting you give up on beard. That's fine. I like yeah. to imagine he was born off-world, and he just, like, came here. So it's like, this is really coincidental. <laughs> this is really working out for me. He talks me. like this, too. <laughs> he already lost He that. probably has an avian as well. Well, now we're mixing up too many side uh, stories. I'm just saying. He's encroaching on Stavian's avian. If you're going for a cliche pirate, he's got a goddamn bird. That I'll take. Oh, a bat. See how I go. Oh, that's good. We can, we can, really, we can really cue this in. But, <laughs> oh, we digress. Now... Gurney's gaining the horizon. He's having this, again, uneasy feeling, Mike. He's not liking it here. We could be trespassing on Fremen land. Could be. So get he out. Knows, Leave. Though. You know you'll die if you are. But he stays. Um, Here's the thing, though. There's a worm out there. There's no way there's going to be any people. That's probably in the back of his mind. That, that might not be the worst logic in the world. Um, the other things Gurney's considering here is like uh, he can't send spotters too high because the gover- uh, the Harkonnen sensors will catch them. So there's some sort of like radar system on the planet at the very least for like aircraft. Um, and then that is also why we have radio silence going on. Because again, with the Fremen and the Harkonnens at war, you don't know who's monitoring what where. So they just go quiet the entire operation, which I bet is like a Gurney original. Ah. Just for how like cute and he is, you know, as a, a kind of a war leader mm-hmm. in these times. Now, the factory sets down, and in classic, I would say, Idaho style, Gurney is out of this thing before it stops. Yeah. Pops that bubble open, hops right out. I think it's in the manual in the Atreides uh, army. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, let the pilot stop that. Don't worry. <laughs> That's not your job. And uh, while he does this, simultaneously, the nose cone kind of pops open, and five of his personal guards pop out of there. That's kind of cool. So we've got Gurney, we got his five personal guards, and uh, right with this, the carrier is like, they set about, detach the carrier from that factory that mm-hmm. we dropped down, and it just takes off and goes. Yep. And it's Don't like, need to be here. Yeah. Then a uh, a couple thopters come down. A platoon pours out. So now we have 20 to 50 soldiers with Gurney standing on the stands. Yeah. We've released the factory. That's just a lot of action, fast and coordinated. Yeah. Right? Like, these guys are they a little military unit. Efficient. Yeah, they've done this before. They're mercenaries, more or less. Now, I think now, again, I, mean, I, I want to attribute this to Gurney. Of like, like, here's the thing. Yeah, they're smugglers, but like they do an awful lot of fighting for smugglers. You, It goes hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. You got to be able to fight off both of these are factions, essentially. Yeah. Like, they're they're tangoing with Fremen every now and then. Uh, now, Gurney leaves his filter mask off, and this is so that he can yell orders if necessary. He does weigh that decision, though. He's just like, I know I'm losing moisture, but, like, this is more important. Well, and again, it's only because they have the radio silence. Right. That they don't have, like, a transmitter or anything. So, yeah, he does kind of go with that. And, again, um, him looking around, he's like, this would be a good site for an emergency base. Maybe uh, sensible to bury a few supplies out of here. Yeah, maybe over at that rock, even. Yeah, that looks really good. (laughs) I'm like, red flag. Some other group might have that same thought. Maybe the indigenous people to this land. Uh, and so Gurney, then he looks around, he kind of admires his men for a second. Like, these guys, you don't got to micromanage them. Like, like we were saying, they're tuned to, like, a machine, right? They're even the all, new ones. Even the new ones, yeah. Yeah, these new ones are uh, really good at what they do, oddly yeah. enough. Uh, they really don't complain. Those, those shirts are a little tight on them. They're really buff. <laughs> they're really buff. <laughs> really buff. Uh, you can see but, the veins on that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> but Gertie, he gets up to a vantage point overlooking the spice patch. It's about a half a kilometer away. And the crawler is already halfway there at this point. Like, it's been rolling because it mm-hmm. just turned on and went. That little fat, that uh, melange spice beard is just at the command. <laughs> He's driving that motherfucker down there because uh, that's our factory commander. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now the cover flight is good. He looks up and over. All right. He turns uh, and he's like, all right, let's climb up this ridge line. Everything's going perfect. This is a pristine operation right now. As long as no. <gasps> and then 12 roaring paths of flame streaked upward to the hovering thopters and carrier wing. There came the blasting of metal from the factory crawler and the rocks around Gurney were full of hooded fighting men. They literally have rocket launchers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me use this phrase. By the horns of the great mother, rockets. They dare to use rockets. Yes. Now, with the uh, bringing up of that phrase, Mike, by the horns of the great mother. Yeah. That could only mean one thing. Kubebe. Kubebe. Did Kubebe have horns in our... No. But Kubebe is our mother goddess. If the mother goddess have horns, I think transitive property Kubebe does. Wait, is that the... Wait, what? Kubebe is just from our planet with our Bene Gesserit uh, coming at. Or no, I'm sorry, not the Bene Gesserit. No, the no, no, Butlerian no. Jihad. Yeah, yeah, I was going to uh, say. That's just theirs. It's not the actual Great Mother, but I would like to think it grew into the Great Mother. Because, Mike, I would wait, ultimately. Oh, wait, what? I would like to think that we met a demigod of that Great Mother. El Muerte. Because <laughs> he's got horns! <laughs> that's all I was building up towards. <laughs> I was just like, where are we going with this? Just there. Okay. I'm think- but we always have time for an El Morte joke. Always have time. I think El Morte is the demigod of Kubebe, who is the great <laughs> mother who has horns. Uh, also known as Duke Slayer. Oh. Ooh, too soon. Uh, back to Gurney. He's suddenly facing a masked warrior in front of him. So while all this goes down, one Fremen comes out and just is right next to him, crouched low in the sand, Chris knife in hand. And there are two other Fremen to the left and to the right, just watching this kind of encounter, right? So mm-hmm. Gurney is just cornered right away. He so, can, Yeah. Do you have a question? No, it just, this happened so quickly. We just moved from like, Suddenly there was fire in the sky and the, mm-hmm. they blew up the carryall was going down. And now he's just face to face with someone. We don't see where they came from or anything. No. I mean, you, you, I, we've seen this trick a couple times. The Fremen loved it as, ha ha, we were They sand- do the reverse Batman. Yes, they pop out of the sand yeah. dunes, right? Yeah. Like, it's like the, the reverse smoke bomb. That's what I imagined, where they all like burst out of the sand at the same time. I, and that's where I thought this was going, instead of the pillars of fire going into the sky. Yeah. I thought it was like 12 Fremen bursting out of the sand at the same time. Uh, that that would be kind of cool, too. But it's I think it's sort of uh, you're following Gurney's line of sight the whole time, right? Like, mm. you're looking up at the bright display. You that look back looks down, down. It's over. And oh. more or less, the fight is done at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, what? Um, the fa- they can't save the factory now. <laughs> no, no, the factory is like, well, no, 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 we, we did save the factory. Uh, well, yeah, yes, but, yeah. okay, I'm talking about Gurney's perspective right now. Yes. It's just like, well, shit, get back on the Thopters. Yeah, <laughs> We're done but, here. Well, but, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You say, like, getting it back on the carryall? Because the carryall's gone now. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you meant, like, they blew the factory up. No, I'm like, it's no. just like... Because it's almost, it doesn't even matter at that point. Yeah, it is a lost machine. We can't drive it out of the desert. (laughs) Thank God we're by this rock, I guess. This is a really (laughs) great place, guys. (laughs) 
But with this, Gurney, he moves his hand to his knife, and in that instant, he sort of reviews the battlefield. He keeps one eye on his opponent's knife, and he's worried right now of, like, if they use rockets, they might use another kind of gun, any projectile weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and what was the first thought we had at the beginning of this chapter? Ooh, I'm not wearing a shield. Yeah, I can't <laughs> um, wear any shields. Rocket would definitely fuck with that. A dart could kill him right now. I wonder now. if this is why the Fremen were really interested in that... Uh... Uh, equipment that the Harkonnens had. I'm just like, man, all that artillery fire, that's kind of nice. Uh, oh, that can make sense. Yeah. So like I don't how... think it's the same stuff, but I definitely think that, like, uh, you think they, just they have an eye for analog uh, weaponry. Yeah, they you don't need you, any... No, 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 I think that's a great point. Do you think they just reverse-engineered that? They, with uh, that? They probably could have. No, well, yeah, whether or not they could have. Oh, I bet they make we, a gunpowder no, no. with spice Hold in on. it. I was thinking, like, going back, we were kind of curious why they needed that artillery, right? Because mm-hmm. they have that ancestral memory. They have all these things. It right. was very weird. So, like, I think it's reasonable to be like, maybe that is what they did with it. I mean, yeah, even just the shells, even making smaller, like, pieces. Right. Yeah, yeah, just I, to be like, oh, we, this is really easy. We can totally do this. Yeah. And then they go do it. Because yeah. I feel like the smugglers would have been like, oh, I remember selling those to the Fremen. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, actually, I feel like that's the only explanation you can logically get around. With. We did bring in rocket launchers <laughs> last month, anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, well, I, yeah, I don't know if the smugglers or the guild would be, like, their supplier. No, because the smugglers and, are always well, the go-between. No, yeah, but smuggler is also, like, I don't think we should concern, can, uh, definitely think of it as, like, it's one homogenous block. There are different... Because they are smugglers. Yeah. yeah. The whole point is that you don't do shit by the book. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're keeping perfect records of like, fair, yeah, fair. those did come in. Uh, especially when they get shot with them occasionally <laughs> on the other side. Now, Gurney, though, like I said, he's able to identify, uh, quickly look over the whole battlefield. Mm-hmm. And uh, his air cover is all gone. It's all knocked down. Yeah. And he can even only hear, though, several uh, struggles around him. It's not too much happening. He knows there's a melee. Mm-hmm. And the warrior across from him follows Gurney's hands with his eyes and then looks back at Gurney directly. So like, well, while well, Gurney's hand went down to his knife and back and he just tells him, leave the knife in its sheath, Gurney Halleck. And I'm like, your first time through, what, what did you think? Where did you think we were at this point? You didn't know quite yet that it was Paul. Oh, no, I knew it was Paul. You thought it was that, that, that obvious? Well, I didn't think it was Paul immediately when we, the I saw the Fremen there, but as soon as he called him my name, it's like, oh, it's Paul. Okay, okay, sure. Uh, yeah, and like the, that's sort of what tips him off because Gertie's like, you know my name? <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta say here real quick. Yeah. Uh, on the second time through this, I did it on Audible, and the this entire chapter is my favorite in Audible so far because every character has a voice. Oh, oh, yeah, and that's nice. Voice, and they have sound effects. And when they talk in the still suits, they have a little... Yeah, there's a like, little muffle. There's a little muffle sound. Yeah. And uh, Paul's muffled sound was like, it was very intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Gives them like a little robotic kind yeah. of like a uh, little Decepticon. So, I just wanted to put in my two cents there. I really love that. That's great. Now, the voice is familiar to Gurney. And uh, the figure tells Gurney he needs no knife with him. Just like, oh, Paul. He's not going to work enough to it. And uh, throws back the hood. Dun dun! It's our hero, Paul Atreides. Question mark? Oh, yes. The shock of what he saw froze Gurney's muscles. He thought at first he was looking at a ghost image of Duke Leto Atreides. Full recognition came slowly. Oh, that's really, really sad. And that, oh, you could, you could see that too of like, 
him pulling it back, and it is just Leto's face, mm. and then it slowly kind of changes to Paul's, and yeah. he sees those differences between the two. Also, quick aside, how many times do we mention Gurney's muscles in this chapter? Um, I mean, they're usually uh, always whippling or like kind of like that. What yeah, else? like he check he he tests his muscles out. Oh first. yeah, no no. Like, oh man, he he's really good at that. He always uh like. I think in other books we'll get to like people talking. You'll just see Gurney go to the balls of his feet again, kind of like he did that at yeah, once. Yeah, I think yeah. at the dinner party he was ready to he was ready to roll, mm-hmm. and he oh, I love those little bits. First but yeah, steps out from the shadows in this one. Yeah, he he stretched in his steel suit like right before he goes out. Like Gurney's always letting you know when he's in battle mode. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that little touch that Frank puts in. Now, uh, our two heroes reunited at last. Uh, Paul tells Garnet to instruct his men to submit. <laughs> we go, we do go right back to business <laughs> yeah, real yeah. quick, right? And uh, Gurney looks around while not taking an eye off of Paul. And I think he kind of doesn't want Paul to disappear again, right? Like, he, Do you think he's maybe, like, seen this before? What do you mean? Like, just, like, uh... Maybe seen passing visages of Leto oh, oh, I'm sorry. Paul. Oh, you mean... Okay, you do yeah, mean Gurney. Gurney. Because, I mean, it just says uh, he whispered and then louder, like, is, is it truly Paul? I think it mentions in here later, like, he was reluctant to take his eyes off of Paul. Right, so do I think what? Do you think that the, he's had this before? Like, he's seen, like, Paul, maybe he actually did see Paul by accident. Oh. Didn't realize. Or he just, like, uh, has seen, like, little bits of his past. Like, he sees Leto in the sand dunes. Uh seen bits do you, are you like i'm, I'm sorry I'm, i think i feel like you're inferring like prescient wise is that what you mean by that no not at all okay okay just it's like bits of his past life where like uh he looks at that so that new recruit and he sees like paul's face for a second it's like hey soldier and it looks and it's just some dude it's like oh okay 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 i see where you're coming yeah yeah definitely it took us a long no. time to get to that point sorry no yeah I, I get the phenomenon you're saying though of like so like one of the things when i moved to puerto rico i would get this all the time of like uh thinking i recognize someone walking into a room and like for me, so that was the first time I moved away from home, right? Uh, mm. Off somewhere else. It was very easy to be like, oh, it's definitely not. And then realize <laughs> right. like, oh, that's a cool phenomenon in my head where I'm used to being like in a small town and that kind of thing. Clearly here, that's not going to happen. Right. One time it did. That oh. was really weird. Uh, where a guy that I graduated high school walked through the door and uh, he was. <laughs> it's not him. And he's like, no, Derek? it was. Oh, yeah. Anyway, like, I'm just saying, but like, oh, your yeah. perspective, like, it can't be him. And it's like, Derek? It was crazy because oh. I had like three parrots on me we're just like oh we went and got a beer after it was really cool uh but like that phenomenon yeah so i bet he's seen them everywhere especially in that first like six months being out in the uh, desert and i think the other side i was looking at that as where i just think paul or gurney doesn't want him to disappear again yeah because it was so that was the last Atreides he had to hold on right. to like this is sort of what defines him and as a person when was right? the last time he saw paul too yeah, we, yeah. Uh, two years. Well, no, I mean, like, even, pra- I mean, yeah, two years, but like, like, when was the last time he literally saw Paul? It wasn't that night. What do you mean that, like, the night Paul saw him or, or that night of the attack? The night, yeah, of the oh, air yeah, yeah. crisis. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't even know. Some, yeah, sometime what? between dinner and that, but yeah, exactly. yeah it would have been like, passing the hall. Like, it definitely was no goodbye. Yeah, it was probably yeah. shitty last words, too. Yeah, yeah, of like, you kid. Putting sand in my bed. You got schmutz on your cheek. <laughs> uh, and that's how he gets them every time. Yeah. Ah, swipes under his nose. He could do that. He can get away with it back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, we have, uh, at this point, 
Gurney looking around. The factory is even quiet. There are Fremen standing atop it. There are no more fighting going on. Fremen are just everywhere. No, there's some fighting. I'm sorry. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're like two or three struggles. And <laughs> like, Gurney's not which, the only one I'm just alive. Like, it's pretty much, though. Yeah. And Gurney calls out, like, all right, stop. <laughs> We're ending this. These are friends. Uh, and uh, somebody yells, yells back, like, fine, friends. Half our people murdered. Yeah. How now, many did we start with again? I don't know, but honestly, only, only half? Were? That's kind of impressive. They're just smugglers, Mike. That's true. That's, honestly, that's better than Sardaukar ratio. There's no doubt that they're Fedaikin in this group. This is Paul's group, yeah. right? Like, the, Oh, man. Yeah. Well, hey, some of these are vets. Some of them have trained with Gurney for a while. Gurney's been like, hey, hold it like this. That's true, true. If, I, I if, if anyone were going to earn some grit, it's, yeah. the, it's the Gurney squad of uh, smugglers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, Gurney then notices something different in Paul's face. A smile touched Paul's mouth. There was a, a hardness in the expression that reminded Gurney of the old Duke, Paul's grandfather. Gurney saw then the sinewy harshness in Paul that had never before been seen in an Atreides. A leather look to the skin, a squint to the eyes, and calculation in the glance that seemed to weigh everything in sight. Okay, now, yeah. question here. What's that? What age was Gurney when he was sort of like uh, picked up from Giddy Prime by Leto? Like, Ooh. did he know the old Duke? Did he oh. see the old Duke? Okay, I can get you that... Uh, the answer you want. Um, I didn't take out Gurney's birth year when I pulled my little data for this, but the information you're looking for is that Gurney was rescued in the year 10165 from the Harkonnen slave pits. That's when the Atreides dropped down. So it's like 25 years ago. Uh, uh, it's 10191 right now, so 36. Oh, no, no, that's bad math. Ah! <laughs> uh, uh. It's like, like, it is like, like 30, uh, 30, 31. 31. 31. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, I just put the five in the... I'm not going to explain myself. The point being, though, oh, is that Minotaurus died in 10163. Oh. So the old Duke was dead two years before because Gurney Halleck was saved by Duke Leto Atreides. Right. So, by Duke... Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we do have a discrepancy error here where the Duke... The old Duke, rather, mm -hmm. was dead two years before Gurney Evers ever set foot on Caladan. So all he can, like, really reference here is that portrait of the old Duke, maybe. Well, uh, I would say no, not quite. Because, I mean, this is a civilization. They have videos and stuff like that, recordings yeah, possible. Fair. So, like, I think there's a plethora of media that perhaps we just... Uh, it just it, it insinuated that he knew the old Duke. It does. It does seem like he saw it personally, right? Like, right. to be a one a singular smile on his face, it very much seemed to imply to me that, like, you know what you're talking about, right? Right. But this isn't necessarily a Frank error, error either, though. Excuse me? Who do you attribute it to? Well, because we get our information from the Dune Encyclopedia. Yes. So... That would be more along the lines that they didn't quite like. Yeah, yeah. Check the uh, dates on that. Oh man, and that does make me want to like kind of nip. I'm like, I wonder what it did say in Gurney's like little. It just said, I think it does just say say save from the Harkonnen slave right. pits kind of deal. Like, yeah, yeah, vague enough for it. Um, 
Uh, but I think I think you still put it on Frank for being like you could have nailed it down, man. You could have told the encyclopedia no. people. No, no, no. Hold up. He could have if he knew. <laughs> if he knew, Mike, when he wrote Dune, he could have told them. Like I'm going to tell you right uh, now. Don't he, write about this. I'll tell you right now. Frank did not read the Dune encyclopedia. He looked at three pages. He's like, <laughs> you should check out this thing and this thing and this thing, and that's all he did. Well, that no. I feel like we got like. Just uh, divergent uh, opinions of who Frankie was. On the one hand, we're like, this guy half-assed everything. <laughs> he didn't even keep notes. On the other hand, he has like folders upon folders on like every niche topic. Like <laughs> he's a play un inscrutable is what this yeah. man is. <laughs> he's a madman. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to chunk this up to like I think it's a classic error. Yeah, it's just um, an error. Yeah, I, w this, I wouldn't attribute this to Frank Herbert at all. I think this oh, is definitely an. Oh, no, I, I want to give it to him of, like, I put this on the author for, you didn't straighten out your shit. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, you're in charge of the IP, dude. Nah, I, I, this is, hey, why don't you let us know who's right, me or Derek? I say the encyclopedia is wrong. Derek says that Frank Herbert's wrong. Wow, Mike, you're going to put that out in the Duneverse. Yeah, I'm down. All right, so we'll wait for the community to uh, weigh in then. Of that. Mm. Nonetheless, I think you and I can both agree that, like, Kearney didn't see it firsthand. <laughs> I feel like I still think it's weird there. And uh, interesting, too, that it's like um, even, like, when he sees that expression that reminds him of the old Duke, he also then sees the sinewy hardness that he doesn't attribute to any Atreides. Oh. That is completely new to the family line, and it's specifically Paul. This like f clearly what I think we would call Fremen harshness, right? right, right. Is what he's saying. Like he's just seeing a dehydrated Atreides, raisin, uh, uh, mapes, if you will, <laughs> old mapes treatment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now that's been kind of like um, merged into this line. It's having its effect on it. And mm. maybe this is the first time maybe we've seen. No, actually, I have to take that back entirely. Of uh, Arrakis having an effect on Paul, uh, but that's uh, uh, yeah, spice. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah. it's some honey barbecue chicken that yeah, exactly. had a, did, a, yeah. did a number a little bit more. So, right, uh, even a night in a tent uh, really <laughs> took him over. Um, Gurney kind of laments that uh, he thought Paul was dead this entire time. And sort of the big elephant in the room for Gurney here. And Paul just points out to him, look, this was a useful cover. That was the best protection I could have. Is mm -hmm. everyone thinking I'm dead? No one's going to go looking for the dead man. And Gurney knows, like, there's going to be no further apology past That's that. That's so sad. It wasn't even just like, oh, he's right. It's just like... That's about the best I'm going to get for like, hey, sorry I lied to you. you, you or sorry I thought I was dead. Oh, with you saying it's sad, do you think Gurney's interpreting it as sad? Maybe. I, I was thinking Gurney was very much, uh, that was him kind of assessing a change in Paul. Uh, um, you get what I'm saying? I would say column A, column B. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. a little. He Because we're going to get to the second line here where he, he he's definitely been wounded. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not taking away the wounded part. I didn't know if it had to do with that apology thing that worked. Because there's a lot of Gurney, like, he comes and goes a little bit. Like, yeah. when he, when he uh, joins Paul back up, he can... He disregards his people very quickly, even though he chastises Paul for it. Mm -hmm. It's very, Gurney's all over the road here. Um, but with him knowing that there's going to be no further apology, he just refers to Paul first as his Duke and then his friend and his thoughts. And I thought that was very important, that it comes to Duke Paul, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then is there anything left of the boy in Paul anymore? That's where I feel like he's also clocking a change to be like, wait, this isn't who I left. Uh, you know, this is a very changed person. Now, Paul took a step closer to Gurney, found that his eyes were smarting. He says, Gurney. 
And this was a definition I didn't know. Do you know what that means if your eyes are smarting? Like the, where the etymology comes from? No, like what the definition is. Uh, I think it's just like hurts or like pain. Yeah, oh, it is. I, yeah. I did, I've never... You, you never heard the term like that smarts? No, no, definitely oh. not. No, this is entirely new oh. to me. So no, yeah, I wasn't like a trick question. This is generally Oh, gotcha, just, okay, yeah. I, I wanted to point it out because like I didn't know that was how you could use that word. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, you're dead on. I don't know where it originates from, why you use it in that context. I, I don't, yeah, I didn't get into that. I obviously, I was just like uh, looking to be like, what is this fucking mean mm. of definition? I didn't uh, find a root for it. Uh, just a few examples for it. But one of them was saying like, uh, my eyes were smarting from the onions. And I'm just like, oh, oh that sounds so weird. Uh, so with that, it has the two definitions of to hurt with a sharp pain, or the other one is to feel upset and angry because of failure or criticism. And I was kind of thinking where we just said Gurney was Ooh. feeling bad. Now, oh. do you think it's either of those? Because like to hurt with sharp pain could be seeing Paul, uh, he has to relive the pain that he's probably up till now buried away. Oh, man. I think, like, seeing him, he's going to be reminded of all the times he thought Paul was dead. He we, thought Paul was lost. Alternatively, the feeling upset and angry because of failure or criticism, I'm like, do you think that's, like, just to that non-apology that he just received? I think both. I mean, like, honestly, I think that that was a little the, best, a little well, the best word Frank probably could have picked for that specific, like, scenario. Def definitely. For, yeah, just how quickly it's like Paul looks. It, it really is a good word to sum up that entire moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, I mean, and granted for me, I don't think I would have gotten it so much without unpacking and be like, each definition, I'm like, ooh, it applies to both of them. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, but then, like, suddenly, they're just embracing, like, old times anyway. We let that feel like just pass, and we mm -hmm. get young Paul Young pup, Gurney man, Gurney man. That <laughs> sounds so silly in the audiobook. Gurney <laughs> <laughs> man, Gurney man. Um, when they separate, Gurney finally speaks, and uh, I like that it too. It uh, it makes it seem like it took a while because even in the text, it just said presently they separated, <laughs> like <laughs> as if the narrator was like tapping his foot off to the side of like <laughs> careless what? whisper playing in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever this hug's over. <laughs> and uh, Paul's the reason for the Fremen battle tactics, obviously. And he's just like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Saw some things I would have planned myself, basically. And he tells them, if only I'd known Paul. If only I'd known, I'd come running to you. And Gurney is just stopped by Paul's hard, weighing stare. And that's going to be, like, the normal trope for Paul at this point. Mm -hmm. Gurney getting, like, he's just seeing, like, I'm not dealing with this fun boy anymore. Like, we can't even, like, yeah. kind of have this joke go back and forth. Every time I look at you, this is a hard leader. We now. also know that Gurney's uh, tactical and smart enough to, like, answer his own questions. Like, but, of course, like, that wouldn't have worked. He does. I love that. It never yeah. takes him long. He, yeah. Because looking right at him, he's like, yeah, sure. there had been those who wondered why Gurney Halleck went a-running and some would have done more than question. They've gone hunting for answers. Mm -hmm. It's like, hell yeah. Especially with all these Sadokar spies on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's Sadokar spies? Through Fear and Baron. Remember that just based off that conversation. No, I'm joking about oh, okay. like the muscly men right. <laughs> that are bursting out of their smuggling uniforms. I didn't say they were undercover, Mike. I just said they were spies. <laughs> they have a vest. <laughs> yeah, let alone let alone the giant Sotokar we have in our group with us. Imagine the Sotokar is just like little uh, notepad and pencil just like snaps in his hand every time he tries to write. 
<laughs> I'm with the guild bank. <laughs> now, uh, Paul, we, we actually switched to Paul's point of view actually here too. And Paul nods uh, some command to the Fadekin. Fadekin. Oh, I'm always going to... Mo- always going to screw that up. It's because I spelled it wrong for like a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to pronounce it to anybody. Uh, but uh, those are those two that were off to the left and the right that Gurney noticed. Yeah. Fadekin, right there. Uh, we can probably assume that one of them is Korba. Uh, Korba yeah. seems to be like one of Paul's right hands. It seems like it. The other one we're going to meet later on is uh, Otham. And I, I would imagine that's the other guy, but I'm not 100%. Who's the, who's the leader of them? It's like Shiswali or something like that? Uh, Shislaki. Shislaki. That was like the... Was it a commander or a captain? That I thought met? it was like a uh, commander. It might have been. It was very quick. If someone's in charge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm confident at the very least. Uh, Korba is a good one to remember. He's going to be in the Dune Messiah for oh, us. Oh, good. He'll make it. So we got Farouk and Korba to look forward to. Excellent. Paul is elated that he found his old sword master and he feels that with Gurney by his side, Mike, we might be on the path out of the storm that I can't see time in. Yeah. This might be the path where all was well. It's, it's a good omen at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. That's, I think for Paul, he'll, he'll take it. That's good enough. He's got to cleanse Gurney though. He's had two years of nothing. So, ooh, is his cleanse come up? No, but I'm thinking back. He revealed his Chris knife. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay. I that I'm glad you caught that. All right. Uh, oh, did he take it out of a chief? Yes. Yeah, Chris knife in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're dead right. When he, I've Gurney's didn't get his out yeah, of the yeah, chief. Yeah. That's that was it. Um. So, uh, taking the ridge to see over the factory wreckage, Gurney asked Paul about his men's allegiance. So they've kind of like walked up at this point. The battle sort of stopped. Yeah. We're looking down. The factory is a little mangled up, but like it's in good shape. We can still drive that <laughs> it's thing. It's like great to see you, but back to business. Mm-hmm. So asking about that allegiance, Gurney just replies like it's with the prophets. Yes, they're all smugglers. It's all where the prophet is. Mm-hmm. And this is followed by some finger code. And Paul is able to see it. It's old Atreides battle language, Mike. Ah. Coming right back into play. There are men to fear and distrust amongst them. Paul pulls on his lip to let him know he understood. Like that's like Paul's is basically a baseball signal back. Uh, but I don't know what Gurney's was going to him. Now looking up, Paul sees Stilgar, and now that's sort of like uh, some water on this whole thing of like, ooh, this. I'll imagine him standing there on top of that dune, just looking down, glaring down at you, and it's just a reminder of unfinished business. Like, well, the big thing is, yeah, he doesn't know where they stand. Where who? Paul and Stilgar. They haven't really, like, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That sentence, yeah that's exactly. Sentence. I didn't know if you were including Gurney or the no, smugglers. No, Gurney's not a part of that. No, if like Stilgar was evaluating the smugglers or something, but yeah, mm. it's that that rivalry between Paul and Stilgar, where they are basically both the head of the Fremen right now, and it's like only one can lead. The young men really wanted to be Paul, and they're pushing for it. And Paul has just led another successful attack, Mike, with the largest worm in history. And we happened upon these smugglers that we purged from our land. You know it's another part of the legend. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all going to be added. All rolled into one. And uh, Paul introduces Gurney to Stilgar, and we get a very interesting reply from Stilgar, don't we? Mm-hmm. I hear, Stilgar says, you are his duke. And it's like, what do you think uh, Stilgar wants? And did Gurney change it in that moment? Oh, with Gurney being there. Yeah. 
So, you know, Ooh. we've already talked. Stilgar's got a plan. Stilgar had a plan before we got right. here. Stilgar had a plan on the back of that worm after Paul finished his test. I'll call the leaders. It's done. He was already on a course of action. I, I think we were we, dead on. He was definitely going to be prepared for Paul to call him out or almost force him to call him out. Now something's changed. Now we're looking down. I'm just like, do you think the presence of Gurney affects Stilgar's plan? Especially given where you know Stilgar is going to end up at the end of this chapter. I think, I don't know. It's weird because if you think back to the beginning quote, you have two men within Paul mm-hmm. in Stilgar's eyes. You have Usul and you have Paul Moadib. Yes. And one. Oh, I would even say, I, I think like Duke Paul. Duke and then Paul. Usal Moadib. Yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. That, they the, always the call Fre- Paul Moadib. So sure, it's, sure, like, sure. it's tricky. But yeah, right, you're right. separating the Fremen yeah. and the Imperial, right? Yeah. Like Paul almost like uh, almost follows both of those uh, mindsets where like you can never be really truly be an individual being part of like uh, the like having uh, religion bind your duty and your law. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like Paul has an entirely different life, like way longer than his time here on Arrakis. Yeah. And, and I think there might be a little bit of doubt or fear in Silgar at this point. So where, where you brought up his myriad names in there, I would even maybe like, let me play with that a little bit. So we have that duty, religion, and um, what was the law? Thir- and law. I feel like that's all tied into like the Atreides, Moadib, Usal, and Paul being the individual. So like Usal is maybe duty. Law is like the Atreides. Religion is Moadib. Paul is like the individual left in there. And like there never is a Paul, is there? Not really. Like he, Not he, that we ever really get to see. Exa- no, him and him. He never gets to exist in that form. It's never just like Paul. Paul gets to be on his own. Paul gets to only worry about Paul's world. Paul's in an ephemeral state of everything. His future <laughs> being his past. Yeah. And that's Paul. A universal clusterfuck. Yeah. 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 It's absurd. I think that's great. Uh, great of like how it all ties into him of like, it's super complicated for him and it's not easy. Um, but I, I feel like that you sidestepped my question a little bit. Of like, no, no. Did that change with Stilgar was where that started. Um, but uh, why don't we just keep going forward and uh, we'll build up to where uh, we end up with Stilgar there. Uh, I think that was a, that's a good enough point. Of like, no, the fact that it like he said this sort of out of character, it wasn't like Stilgar to say this. I think that there is doubt in Stilgar's mind that like, you, like you're not going to forget the Fremen like Duncan Idaho, right? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe... Like, we've seen this happen before. Maybe it's sort of him highlighting that, you, Paul, you're slipping. Because I, I would that also, I would also point out that um, I think the other question I've had here is, do you think that Paul is breaking the chain of command by just bringing Gurney aboard? We've just brought an out Freyan into the troop without consulting the Naib. Yes and no, because... Oh, well, before Stilgar was the naive, so he made the call. Ultimately. Stilgar is the naive. Well, no, before when he brought in Paul and Jessica. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. He was Sorry. the one who made that yep. call. And he was even called out by a member of the tribe. That is true. Yeah. Oh. But it certainly was not Jameis's decision to make at the start. Jameis had the right to invoke the right. Right, right, right. R-I-G-H-T-R-I-T-E. I think anyone here has the right to do that as well. But it's sure. also... It's also it's also Mudib. Well, also I'll give you. On no one, yeah, but I, so I feel like it's sort of like the uh, the assistant manager putting the manager on the spot of this like, <laughs> well, yeah, the manager is not going to say no in front of everybody. 
but this isn't how it, you know, this yeah, isn't yeah, what yeah. we agreed on, Paul. This isn't what the laws are, the rules, if you will. Um, it just occurred to me, like, yeah, because Paul's not naive. That, I think, is just paramount to, mm. to understand here. Now, uh, Paul can tell by Stilgar's voice that he wanted to say something else, but he didn't, which was very unlike a naive. Mm. And I think even then, Stilgar on top of that seems to be extra exceptional. That is, again, that dark, imposing figure on the dune. I love the imagery on this. Yeah. And this is a Gurney for no, uh, Gurney's second meeting, I guess, with uh, yeah. Stilgar. He was in the uh, the conference room that one time, but I, I, I can't imagine he remembers True. after all the shit that's gone down. <laughs> and knowing that this is a time where like Paul's still looking up at Stilgar in a literal sense. Ooh, oh, that's a good catch. He's figuratively <laughs> and literally above him. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, judging him, looking Pretty down. Good. Yeah. Now, um, where does this leave us off with? Ah, this all has a very different effect on Gurney, though. This whole kind of exchange. And to Gurney's mind, he goes, my Duke, Gurney thought. He looked anew at Paul. Yes. With Leto dead, the title fell on Paul's shoulders. The pattern of the Fremen war on Arrakis began to take new shape in Gurney's mind. My Duke. A place that had been dead within him began coming alive. Only part of his awareness focused on Paul's ordering the smuggler crew disarmed until they could be questioned. I feel like we already addressed this, though. Do you he think did, he was subconsciously he already, already doing that? Wait, because like, I, yeah, that's why I put it in my notes. My Duke. He says Duke and then friend in that order in yeah. his mind. And I thought that was an intentionally put. But then it's like Frank was like, oh, I got to say that Duke thing later on. Um, we're like, yeah, we come in and now he's sort of like, oh, it's a Duke thing. And he, his, he's sort of like, um, glossy eyed to the whole thing. He gets lost in this little daydream. It's a lot to take in. A lot has happened in the past 30 seconds. Yeah. It, well, and then it's, you know what, you know, what brings him back in Mike hmm. classic Gurney Halleck. He comes back to full attention when a smuggler protests a command from his Duke. And he's like, oh, the hell you do? <laughs> that is the Duke of Arrakis. You will submit. And they all do. He stands up a little straighter. It's just like, this is what I've been missing. He's like, yeah. His blood pressure goes down. Some wrinkles fade away. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. His eyes were a little gray before. The shit, you know, they were bright blue again. <laughs> oh, Gertie Halleck, it's good to have you back, my friend. And uh, Paul moves up to Gurney so they can talk somewhat privately at this point. I'm like, yeah, okay, we've disarmed all the smugglers. Thanks, Gurney. You went a little over the top there. Mm. Uh, and he's like, uh, Gurney, you're not one to really fall into a trap, my friend. And Gurney's like, goddamn, Paul, that was a good trap. Yeah. And, and he I, realizes exactly what happened, too. It's just like, I, yeah, you got us. I was going to say, I think Gurney kind of admires the cunning of the plan. To make that like thin layer of spice and they get him to go down. I'm like, yeah. yeah, you got me, kid. You got me good. And uh, Paul then asks if there are any more Atreides men around. Just like, ah, oh, I bet Leto would have asked that a lot sooner. But uh, you got there. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Grant, they're not the same men. They're mm. not supposed to be. And I don't mean to, like, shame Paul for that. Yeah. But from Gurney's point of view. Not according to Princess Irulan, though. Ooh, ooh, uh, no, no, no. He just lives in the shadow of his son. What is the son but an extension of the father? <laughs> okay, okay. Touche. Touche. Yeah. I think it's, is that the rest of that quote? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give you it. I'll give you it. Uh, there's a big thing with Dune where uh, it even highlights of just what Paul does ultimately, and even when we get to the end of the book, is that he doesn't change everything. It, or I'm sorry, he, it's not like um, a drastic change. It's like a degree of change. Mm-hmm. 
So it's always just shades of gray. We're never going black to white with things. And I think that is sort of like what you're saying there. We're like, uh, Duke Leto and Paul are the same. They're just a little degrees different. Right, right, and that's right. what we're going to see where Paul moves to ultimately too. And it's a cool theme that Frank is always pulling upon. So then we get the quote. This is Gurney replying back to Paul. None were spread thin. There were a few among the free traders. Most have spent their profits to leave this place. But you stayed. I stayed. And Paul already knows why. Yeah, it's obviously, it's the Beast Raban. And Gurney tells him, like, he had nothing left but revenge because everything was gone yeah. for him. The Atreides were the only thing he really had. That's sort of what defined his person, which is a little sad, too, in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, but I like that we at least get to revel in the fact that a lot of the Atreides did get off the world. Yeah. The survivors of it are... How, all- how many were left of his? We have... We have oh, I don't know. I, I thought don't we know. had a number, like most of them. We had, uh, uh, Thufir had 10, right? Thufir had 10. Yeah. Thufir has none now. Yeah, I don't remember what Gurney's is. I would also think that Gurney's might be like, uh, culminative too of like beyond just the men that got Whoever it. was with Gurney when they got No, no, I, I think beyond just that group, he probably, you know, found some others. You know, oh, he, you have that whole period, but like, and they obviously would all recognize Gurney. Uh, yeah, no. But, um, just very cool to be like we have little pockets of Atreides that have gone to other worlds. Out there. Yeah, they have. They got away. That's all that we can really yeah. take for it and be happy for. Uh, Lord knows where they went. Now, of course, Gurney has stayed again. Well, Ribbon. Wait, all they need to do is get a quick handful of spice from the sand. They're like, I'm going to Tupac. That is fucking legit. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, but it's, I don't know how the smugglers. Uh, it's got to be. I don't think you can just pull a pile of. Uh, for the sand, for your personal That's like, true. That's uh, true. I feel like everyone might get a little dicey on that. <laughs> but yeah, if that does hold true, they must make a shit ton of money. Because mm-hmm. it is like, it is super elite. Right. No, actually, I, I push back. I, I yield to you. As someone who has sold drugs before, Mike, you make an obscene <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> I bet if you just bring a handful, you totally get on that ship and just go. Uh, that's how I moved to California. I just sold weed, Mike. It was fantastic. So this continues on where there's a cry from the ridge top, which is like, oh, that's the perfect break that we need right now. And there's a Fremen waving a kerchief, right? And uh, Paul tells Gurney, ah, a maker is coming. And for some reason, he doesn't have to explain what that means. But yeah. I'm like, I guess Gurney's learned a few things in this time. And uh, yeah, I don't think Gurney uh, interprets that as like a worm is coming either. He very well. Oh, I think he picks up very quickly when he sees yeah, the mountain yeah. of sand coming. It's hard to tell with, with that overlap of the yeah. Fremen, but I agree. I don't know how secret they keep that. Right. It, it made it did seem like it was pretty secretive with how long it took Jessica to figure it out and stuff. Yeah. Uh, considering otherwise, I feel like there would be a report that uh, Thufir could have produced to be like, they called the worm a maker. Right, right, right. Many a thing. But Thufir was tired. Thufir and a shitty mentat, I think, at that time. Uh, <laughs> no. As we sort of reviewed a few yeah. things, uh, there are questions, Mike, questions. Because Gurney was smarter than Thufir in some manner. No, okay. Okay. Now, Paul tells Gurney this maker's coming, and they both move up to get a better view. So we're just climbing up this ridge slowly. We were at a point where we were looking down on the factory crawler that had gone to the spice sands, like mm-hmm. half a kilometer away. Now we're moving up even further so we can really look out in the desert and see this maker uh, worm sign, essentially, coming towards us. Now, with this, uh, Gurney's kind of looking around. He sees the factory crawler actually comes back to life. Now, Mike, Milan Spicebeard. I think they spared him. 
Well, yeah, the, well, I bet the Fremen know how to act to how to use that. They definitely would. But yeah. I'm only basing this off half the people lived. I'm hoping it's him. I hope he made the cut. <laughs> we of, gave him uh, a name. Yeah. We gotta. He just threw down. He was like, our, or the other thing I had. Jeremy Timbers. Is, uh, I was thinking Han Solo. He's got like a false compartment in the spice factory. He's under the floorboards right now. <laughs> he's had this happen before. Yeah. He knows how to get out. Um, but Paul uh, kind of remarks that it's sort of just like, oh, it's too bad we didn't get that carry-all. That could have been nice. Sort of an inconvenience, right? right? And uh, Gurney, thinking of his men and how things used to be, tells Paul that's not how Leto would look at things. He would have considered the men as more important than the carry-all, right? Yeah. Paul shot a hard stare at him, lowered his gaze. Presently, he said, They were your friends, Gurney. I understand. To us, though, they were trespassers who might see things they shouldn't see. You must understand that. What a great way to say I'm not my father, and you need to know that now. <laughs> you need to know that. Before we go any further, this is yeah. going to be a really tough friendship. Yeah. But uh, not my dad. But, like, legitimately, it's worded very succinctly. It's very Fremen of just, mm-hmm. like, it outlines of, like, no, you were wrong. <laughs> he's also got Silgar up there watching him. Yeah, yeah, you think he's... Well, there? actually, no, I think Silgar actually went away for a second here. Nope. He's uh, back with a... A they're, they're gonna climb up after them oh, but okay. that's when we move towards so basically where we've moved we've just moved away from stilgar okay, where we've okay. climbed up to but yeah stilgar is gonna come back with do you know who the other one with them is oh i don't remember it's korba ah. uh but for now because uh, we're gonna be at the top with gurney and him uh paul shoots this hard glance and yeah he's sort of like tells him this is how things are gonna be from now on you figure it out right now. And Gurney, he does. He drops it right away because he says, like, I can understand and I want to see these secret things. And when Paul looks at him, the grin's back on his face. And that's where I'm just like, eh, where are you, Gurney? You're all over the road right now. Right, right. Like, you're either going to care about your men or you're not. But you, I don't think you can really do both. He does seem like he's on the fence. I mean, the, I think he's just a little bit in shock too. A little emotional. bit seeing Paul and like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot of emotions at once. Like he like ha- wants to ask questions, but it's all like, you know, he's always stands up straight. My Duke. I would even, you know what? Uh, I, let me even rephrase it of like throwing out. It's not Paul. It's the Atreides. It might be. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's the, it's the brand. It's the brand name. It, like just saying it's not just Paul, but it's sort of like all the work Leto did that Paul gets to inherit is what's coming in. Like Paul is inheriting Gurney. Right. Paul didn't earn Gurney. We 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 always um, that's a good point. But yeah. we always knew that eventually Paul was going to take over for Leto. Sure, if, you know, I mean, if Gurney didn't die first, but I mean, he was play, he was retired playing Ballast at more yeah, or less. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Chances are he was going to be in that position. I think even Gurney but, uh, played. He's like Duncan's going to die before I do. This, this is a tricky thing where, like, you know, like the new hire comes on, and now suddenly they're your boss. Who, oh, Paul? Yeah. I'm like, wait, who's the new hire in this scenario? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one who was born. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he gets to goes right into that station. So I get, you're saying like he sort of expected it his whole life too? Yeah. It's like building up, they knew this was something, a possibility. Right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And I can see, and that's probably why it's so easy for him to go back into. Because it, it only takes a second for Gurney mm-hmm. to get right back into his old role. Now, Gurney notes that uh, none of the Fremen seem worried about the worm. 
it's on its way here. I mean, it's like, I love the notices. They're like, shouldn't, shouldn't we get going? You guys, <laughs> like, are, you guys are out moving mighty casual around here. And uh, then a thumper starts out past that big yeah. spike. Thump, thump, thump. And this is the first time Gurney's probably been around a thumper, really. Smugglers aren't keen on those. And uh, the worm came on like some great sandfish cresting the surface, its rings rippling and twisting. In a moment from his vantage point above the desert, Gurney saw the taking of a worm, the daring leap of the first hookman, the turning of the creature, the way an entire band of men went up the scaly, glistening curve of the worm's side. And Paul just tells him, well, there's one of those things you shouldn't see, this bud. Re- this reminds me of, uh, did you, do you remember the first Harry Potter film? Sure. Like, Hagrid's just, like, telling them everything that comes to mind. Like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, wh- oh, what does he say that in reference to? Oh, like, he's talking about, like, oh, like, you can get past little Fluffy. Just play with a little bit of music. Oh, yeah, it was always stuff at Hogwarts. Yeah, right? it's like, okay. stuff that's, like, this is top secret stuff that you shouldn't be telling, like, a 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah, a first year. This is what the, the sentence reminded me of. Obviously, it's not the same context at all. No, and no. I think Paul's like kind of just like that's one thing you shouldn't have seen. And this is again me wanting to look back at that him bringing this outworlder in. Mm-hmm. This is even like a step beyond bringing an outworlder in. We're showing them everything. Yeah, right off the bat. Even Paul and Jessica weren't like shown this. Right, we walked back to to bar. We yeah. didn't ride a worm. Uh, we took our dear sweet time. And uh, so I think it's just very interesting. Uh, but that's the first thing that uh, Gurney gets to see. And I, I love that that's like, we got to see Paul taking it during the religious rite of like right. a person. This is what it's like when it's streamlined and everyone knows what's up. The entire band gets on at once and they all churn up in a single or, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just or like one person makes that like leap of faith. Like. So, well, again, the first hooker, that's the one opening the ring segment. The yeah, others yeah. are hooking on to the ring segments without opening them. Right, right, right. So that he's like, yeah, controlling the But area. I love this. It's like that daring leap. Like, how? what does that look like? Uh, yeah. And I, I like to think like that whole line of them. It's just like, they all like just latch on at once. Oh, it must good. look so great. Uh, and just standing in front of a worm without any fear. Now, Gurney had heard rumors creature all men fear you that treat like, like a riding animal kind of thing that was like no one would ever believe that yeah did you like that they gave you that explanation yeah. on top of it be like i've heard rumors but it was so crazy that's why i didn't believe it yeah yeah, yeah. like i i like that that was a good touch that i think you and i needed to like extra rationalize out why don't the smugglers tell anyone mm. it's like oh they do and they just call them batshit crazy I'm like <laughs> yeah okay show you the guy you're cialago nuts hitting the spice beer um but then Paul speaks the magic Your words. Favorite thing. The favorite words. Oh, I hope our spice worlder is listening. But he's like, Gurney, my father spoke of desert power. <laughs> like, this is it, baby. Desert power in its prime form. No storm or creature can stop us. And Gurney notes Paul uses us as in Fremen when he explains this desert power. Again, another person's mm. gone native. Looks into the, the blue spice eyes of Paul. Yeah. And he thinks about his own blue eyes at that point, too, because his has like slight blue. And we get some really cool exposition on like just how the smugglers are set up, where they they get food from off-world. That's, yeah, uh, they can afford that. it. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, they got apparently a shit ton of money. Uh, but it also has like subtle cast implications for how blue your eyes are. Mm-hmm. And that they call it the touch of the spice brush. Ooh. 
that, that's all really cool. I like that. Uh, just tell us, like, there's, like, a hierarchy in between them. They kind of judge each other for how native they go. Like, that's a, a demerit to them. Now, Paul tells Gurney that their aircraft was a shock to see this far south. And Gurney's just like, mutual. Um, <laughs> Didos. Didn't expect to see a bunch of Fremen rocket launchers this far south either. Uh, but Paul is sort of explaining that, like, the Harkonnens have stopped coming this far south, right? When they, They've just mm. been consumed with the war. And this used to be a safe area. And he does um, couch it as, like, we don't normally ride out in the open. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you don't. This was a religious... The only reason you guys are out here is, like, it's the one day for you in particular. Yeah. But it made it seem like other Fremen might be riding during it. But I don't know what to make of that sentence exactly. Maybe they just With how, more, more bold of, like, knowing that, like, the Beast of Wrong can't send out scouts. That the so they South don't need they, to be as careful. It, just, it does feel a little, maybe, like, lazy Fremen-ish. Like, it could go both ways. Yeah. yeah. But we did also kind of say that Habayana Erg was, like, the border to, like, the right. greater South area. So maybe they do ride it during the day if we need to, to just to get more work done or something. Yeah. I, I can't really tell what to make of that fully. Um, and then Paul asks, uh, news of Raban in the Sinks and Villages from Gurney. Mm. I'm like, all right, Gurney, you got some more info I can milk out of you, too. I, I need to know what's up here. And Gurney tells him, of like, ah, oh, they're all they're basically fortified in place. Right? They've set up in the cities to defend so much that you would have to come and attack them. And Paul yeah. rephrases this of like, oh, so they're immobilized. So they can't do anything. They can't go. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You're free to move wherever you like, whenever you like. And uh, Paul credits this tactic to Gurney of like, mm. I learned this from you. And he asks Gurney to enlist to finish this campaign. And I love that. Paul must have felt like he was doing the right thing there. And yeah. he, he hits it the exact wrong way, though, doesn't he? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and this also sets up for me of like, um, think of how long Paul has just been a full on general. Because, like, this is very much a military commander. That's true. Right? And he's been orchestrating a war at this point. Um, But to touch on this enlist comment, like you were saying, Gurney tells him, enlist, my lord, I've never left your service. You're the only one left to me. To think you're dead, and I, being cast adrift, made what shrift I could, waiting for the moment I might sell my life for what it's worth, the death of Raban. An embarrassed silence settled over Paul. Paul knows he was in the wrong yeah, or just like what a stupid mistake to make. Of course, Gurney never was. He's always been part of your right. army, and in a way, like I, I uh, hearing this in the audiobook, colored it a different way. I originally read this as a, "You're the only one left me," meaning like you left me, Paul. Oh, Not I, I interpret it as like you're the only one like left, left to me. To yeah. me. yeah, that is totally it. The two is just phonetically taken out for like the candor of his voice, right? Right, right, right? And I think that's exactly how it is. And I was just, that was the impression I got though the first couple times of being like, him uh, down, like, Paul, I didn't leave you. You left me. And even then, I don't think he's saying it like intentionally, but just like that is how things went. I mean, like you that, were yeah, I mean, you that, were taken from me in a way. There's only so much sugar you can put on top before you're like, oh, this is bitter. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you don't. You, you just gotta take a bitter pill. Uh, but I think the interpretation is what you were saying, where Granny was like, "You were the only thing keeping me alive, the Atreides, mm-hmm. if not you. Uh, with that gone, I was just gonna try to kill Raban, even if it killed me." Right. And now Paul's just like, "Oh, I'm stupid." I think it's funny too because, like, up top, like, um, 
or a couple paragraphs before this. Uh, I say up top because I'm looking at a page right now. <laughs> okay. Um, Gurney is thinking like he's constantly got that us us in his mind. Like when you talk about us, you're talking about the premier of Paul. Like, you're not talking us. about House yep. Atreides. Yep. But uh, so I was I was considering like, is this that weird moment where like both Stilgar and Gurney have doubts about Paul? And it, it, we we do kind of get there. We do, but like I think very close. I think Gurney's words here are pretty. I don't. I mean, he's not lying, and maybe this is Gurney also saying it to himself in a way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the first time he's been able to speak it aloud, right? Kind of hear it, hear it himself, and like, oh, sort of sinks into him a little bit too. But I mean, this is this is Gurney on board. Gurney's ready to go. I think this is also Gurney being like, well, I guess I'm chilling with the Fremen or whatever they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's down for whatever Paul is. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, their moment is actually broken a little bit uh, mm-hmm. when Cheney pops in, and uh, Gurney notes her possessive air around Paul. He kind of already judges who she is and rel- mm-hmm. relative to Paul. Paul introduces Gurney to her, uh, then inquires about the worm. And Paul's done this twice now, where he introduces Gurney to the Fremen. He doesn't introduce them to Gurney. Mm-hmm. He just sort of leaves that hanging in the air. Because uh, he just goes right to talking about that worm of like, uh, where'd the men go with the worm? And Cheney tells him, like, they've diverted it while we take time to hide the equipment, meaning that factory crawler. They're going to save it. Yeah. And then she warns about the wind. And then another guy warns, like, wind coming. And now Gurney sees Fremen start to hurry. Fremen start to worry. They worry about the wind, not, not the, the worm. worm yeah. mm-hmm. And he's so like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> that says a lot There's about this culture. coming. And looking down now over the factory crawler, he sees the rock wall open entirely. Now, do you remember how big a factory crawler yeah. is? It's huge. And this thing just drives right in of like big open. I, just, I like to imagine it's like a garage door opening kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't eat as ridiculous as you want it to be because it's probably silent too. Yeah. It goes in and then it's rocks just close back behind it. Seamless. And Gurney's just sort of like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, you want to bury a few things here, Gurney? A few supplies? Could be a, could be a good outward base. Yeah, there's a full garage <laughs> with a secret door that you can open automatically. It's absurd. Uh, Paul sends Cheney, though. Uh, Go run off and tell Corba, basically, that they're men not to be trusted among the smugglers. Paul will regret that message in due short times. Now... Gurney now guesses correctly, like, ah, that's your woman, eh? And Paul's just sort of going to gobsmack him here of like, yeah, yeah, mother of my firstborn. There's another Leto. Let's keep going now. <laughs> Gurney, <laughs> Gurney's eyes just go wide. <laughs> I'm like, we don't, Excuse me? We don't got time for this. There's wind coming, Gurney. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about that. So we left Lido, little baby Lido the second, the biggest news possible. We're not going to talk about We're not yeah. going to talk about Aaliyah. We're not going to talk about any of that. We got to get oh. inside. <laughs> I just imagine like he wanted to make a jab, like oh, you know, like I'm starting to learn uh, what it's oh, like with yeah, the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like I have a kid. I have a, I have <laughs> yeah. a son. He's 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 growing. <laughs> you will refer to him as young dude. Before you make a, a joke about me touching myself in front of my woman, <laughs> I have a kid. I'm a man, <laughs> and I'm your boss. <laughs> now today he's a man. Today, yeah, lit- well, <laughs> hours ago. <laughs> Hours ago. That is hilarious. That's so good. I wish he did say, I'm a man, Gurney. <laughs> You're going to treat me like one. Um, Paul, though, he, he can see this, he see a storm, and uh, he starts giving commands now. Like, seal your still suit up. Gurney obeys rapidly. 
he is yeah. now he's fully indoctrinated again, right? I just feel like he's back in that habit. Uh, Paul asks who can be trusted, and Gurney says uh, these new offworlders are the weird ones. And then Gurney notes like, "Ooh, offworlders! That shouldn't have come that easy to my tongue. That's not something that should be normal to me." Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, yeah, he's already in. Do you know what I think it is? What? I think it's in a trade. He's planted to him again. Oh yeah. Remember, well, we, well, technically by law it is. It, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was when Leto was in charge, and it is now that the that Duke is rightfully back in this power. Is a very rock Karn right now. Yeah. It, it's just whew, all over. He's ready to be back in the Imperium. And uh Gurney says that these men uh they have a hint of Seleucus Secundus to them, which my final red flag for fucking A, Gurney. How can they be weird off-worlders with a hint of Seleucus Secundus, but you're not willing to be like, they're Sadokar? He holds back on Sadokar because Paul asks him. And he's like, I don't know, sir. All I know is they're weird. <laughs> but they're from Seleucus Secundus. Oh, and they're jacked as all shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, granted, the jacked is the thing we ascribe to them. <laughs> yeah, that, that is our own personal take on Sardaukar. Now, Paul assesses how quickly uh, Gurney is back into his old role. Uh, but he does note some subtle changes in him, right? There's a reservation to Gurney now. Arrakis is a crucible. It changes people. Yeah. And I like, he's like, even Arrakis has changed him too. Knowing the effect it's had on him, the effect it's had on his mother... It's changed everybody. The effect it had on Leto. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason he never slept for that last, like, month of his mm-hmm. life, essentially, bringing us over here. That's really sad to think about. Yeah, tragic. Um, I think, though, these are obviously Sadokar. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't believe why Gertie isn't able to identify them. But... Well, you know what? I was really proud about this, too, because when I Ooh. first read the chapter, oh, they, when they did mentioned, you identify like, them? especially the new ones, it's like, why did Frank feel the need to, like, put that in there? Like, are those spies? Are those Fenring spies? Oh. I didn't think they were Sardaukar, but I did think they were Imperial spies. Ooh, I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. Oh. Like, of all the people that could send Sardaukar spies, yeah. Fenring. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's totally a person to attribute it to. Actually... That is a great person to attribute it to, and hold on to that for the deep dive, Mike. Okay. Yeah, you might have figured it all out. <gasps> so, two Fremen now are climbing up towards us. These are who you were thinking of before. So this is Stilgar and Korba. We mm-hmm. can see down. They're climbing up to this sort of a shelf that we're standing on. And uh, one of them is carrying a large black bundle over their shoulder. And Gurney sees this. And I think he's worried this is a body. That's what I thought. Yeah, how can you not, right? <laughs> like, I mean, we just killed a bunch of people. Oh, God. You know how key... Malar Spicebird, no. Oh, <laughs> he saw one eye looking out at him. But you a single think... hook comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you think he drives it with a hook? I like that you didn't even have to say he had a hook before. <laughs> I would know that was him. I'm like, yeah, that's the fucking pirate. <laughs> a peg leg was dangling at the end. Remember uh, you saw that movie Dodgeball? Yeah. Steve the Pirate. I don't remember that. That's Mal- What? I only remember if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Literally, one of the people in their team was a pirate. <laughs> he was convinced he was a pirate. Oh, God. No, uh, we watched that movie once in Spanish class, though. And so to have it be prerequisite for Spanish class, you just had to put Spanish subtitles on. We were like, deal. We do it. Best one ever is uh, at one point... Uh, ben Stiller like takes, I think he puts one in his pants yep. and then it just says, uh, balls deflate. It's like the, <laughs> the quote for the, the caption. Is this the only time you've seen that movie? 
Uh, oh, I, yeah, actually, probably since then. Oh, no, it's That fun. was like the year it came out, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not watching them, Mike. I don't care about dodgeball. Oh, I'll get you in on that. <laughs> no. I can do it. But, so we have uh, Corber carrying this. The reason I asked if it's a body is that uh, Gurney's thought is going to be like a, Paul, where's my crew? <laughs> <laughs> Where is everybody? It's awfully quiet here. Yep. And uh, Paul them. oh, everyone's in below. Uh, we'll decide what to do with them after the storm. And that does kind of go past Gurney for a second. For me, that was a classic horror movie setup. Where Mike, we're about to close ourselves in a cave while a storm goes over with some Sonogar. Yeah. People are going to die. Uh, this would have <laughs> been a great, like, we come back to this three dead bodies and, like, find the murderer. Oh, who done it? Exactly. That would be. Witch of the Smugglers. That would have been be pretty good. That would have been pretty good, but it would have taken the entire book. Yeah. So Frank's like, got to throw it out. Uh, now. A Fremen cries, Moadib! And this prompts Paul to just explain his friend, Fremen name to Gurney. And that was really the only reason I think that happened. Yeah. Because the it guy was. He, it absolutely he was. didn't say anything useful. But also to give us insight into the current legend of Moadib. Yes. That is uh, good to key it on. So now Gurney has a thought. And it's much like Stilgar's, where Paul is more than one person to him. It says, Gurney turned away, feeling an oppressive sense of foreboding. Half of his. Uh, half of his own crew dead on the sand, the others captive. He did not care about the new recruits, the suspicious ones. But among the others were good men, friends, people for whom he felt responsible. We'll decide what to do with them after the storm. That's what Paul had said. Moadib had said. And Gurney recalled the stories of, told of Moadib, the Lisan al-Gaib, how he had taken the skin of a Harkonnen officer to make his drumheads, how he was surrounded by death commandos, Fadaikin, who leaped into battle with their death chants on their lips. Him. Ooh. I love, I love the Harkonnen officer's skin for the drumheads. Clearly never happened. I was just like, so good. I, I wish the Gurney had said something, but like, Gurney, I don't, need, I don't even play the drums. I can barely play the <laughs> <Yes>. battle set. <laughs> what are you talking about? Corbett comes in with some bongos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Play the uh, Spice World theme. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, I mean, that's the Fedeikin uh, theme. Ah. Um, nonetheless. But yeah, that that's the kind of uh, stuff that's being passed around, especially among the Harkonnens mm -hmm. and whatnot. And like Gurney's had his mind, that's what Thufir thinks about Moadib. Yeah. That's what, whatever his reports in this prophet that he's saying, let him go, let it go. That's what he would have heard. Mm -hmm. And I, that maybe even colors in of like, uh, why you don't make that leap of like, you see yourself reflected in the battle tactics, but you hear this about Moadib. I can now kind of make that leap of like, yeah, you would not even want to guess Paul's right. there because you don't want Paul to be there. You don't want to acknowledge that reality. Um, but what do you what do you think about this duality of men now that Gurney's seeing? Like, uh, like, what do you mean? He's seeing his Duke and the Fremen Messiah essentially, and he's a little turned off by this idea of the Fremen Messiah. Conversely, you have uh, Stilgar looking at it the other way. Stilgar kind of wants his messiah in a way. He doesn't oh, want Duke. Duke Paul Atreides is not the Fremen he knows. It, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we have a uh, Gurney notes uh, by voice the half command and half request from one of these men that comes up and it tells Paul to like head into the camp, right? Or into the cave. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's Stilgar. And we get Stilgar of the new Fremen legends. 
Yeah, that's a good Saturday morning cartoon right there. Ooh. Uh, but that's going to be like all these people that Paul's surrounding himself with. There are rumors about every one of them permeating these cities and these uh, the pans and sinks. Now, Paul turns to Corba. This is the one who had that black uh, satchel or bundle over his shoulder. Yeah. As he's coming up, and he's like, hey, Corba, what do you got there? And it's Stilgar who answers. And I feel like he's not letting Corba put his name on this gift. Because <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. I saw this in the carry-all with the GH on it. Leader's rights, if you will. Oh, nice. <laughs> Leader's rights. Corbo would have to intone. Uh, but he found the battle set that is Gurney Halleck's had his initials on it. And he's like, everyone knows you've spoken of Gurney Halleck. And that is like a little bit of a peace offering, I feel like, from Stilgar, right? Mm. That's what it seems like to me. I'm just like, don't. I've always listened to you. I do love you. I'm like, take this. I know we're we're fighting right now, but I still thought of you. Uh, I, it's interesting. Your singles are still in the top ten on the charts in Arrakis. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Gurney studies Stilgar, and he gives him a gracious thank you. Stilgar, not so much. Uh, and he comes back with, again, another very cold and distancing statement. Stilgar signaled for his companions to pass the bundle to Gurney and said, Thank your Lord Duke. His countenance, or his countenance earns your admittance here. What are you going to just say that? I was gonna, I mean, like, there's more to it than this, but, like, at its core, this is, like, old best friend meets new best friend. Yeah, in, in a way. Yeah, in a very different way. Gurney has that thought, and it's just fucking silly the way he constructs <laughs> that thought. Uh, but maybe there's there's something. I, I still think it's um, Paul overstepping his rights in the tribe. Where Paul, he's bringing someone into the tribe who who doesn't. Oh no, he certainly is. doesn't benefit the tribe at all. There's nothing Gurney can provide the friend, mm-hmm. right? Like just hands down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the the only thing that Paul and Jessica had was the fucking weirding way. Without that, they were lost. True, because like. They're they're fine with their knife work. <laughs> yeah, Gurney's not going to improve from a knife work. In part, that's also what the ballast is representing. Like, this is all you offer. Oh, it's like, oh shit! Are you taking my like peas offering from Stogar and turning this into more shade? Yeah, yeah. I, well, because he always speaks in double entendres. Yeah, I think you might have some there. For, like, this is all you have to offer us. Yeah, interesting, interesting. He's gonna walk into Sietch with that then. Yeah, that that's cool. That's a good catch, Mike. Um, now, Gurney catches the air of challenge. And this is where I think he has very much a mean girl's thought. Because he's like, Stilgar's just jealous of how close me and Paula. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. New best friend, old best friend. <laughs> it's so petty. And like, it is, but it's so I, funny. I, it, it is very funny. It is very funny. But I'm like, for me, when I read this, I'm like, this is even like below Gurney to like even have this thought. I don't know what this means, but yeah. <laughs> sure, Gurney. Maybe it's that Stilgar is super jelly of you. Maybe that's <laughs> all this is. What a world you live in in your little head. <laughs> um, Paul insists that Stilgar and Gurney be friends, though, so, and this is. Hitting home your point of, like, my best friends will be friends. <laughs> uh, Stilgar's reply is cold again, but it also ends very ominously to me. Slowly, Stilgar extended his hand. He gripped the heavy calluses of Gurney's sword hand. There are few who haven't heard the name of Gurney Halleck, he said, and he released, he released the grip. He turned to Paul. 
the storm comes rushing. I like that ending. And obviously it's very literal because we're heading right into it. But again. Again, it's still got double entendres. That's his bread and butter. Yeah. And you know, we're going into the storm right now. We're going to end this tonight. Mm -hmm. So we head in. And uh, with that, into the cave of the saddle car we go. The door seal goes right up behind us. And we moved down several glow globe uh, corridors, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike, I've missed this. It's been a while since we've been going through the corridors of a little uh, sure, outcropping sure. of rocks since we were out with Liette or, or even in uh, the Cave of Riches or Ridges, depending on what map you use. <laughs> and uh, Paul leads Gurney all the way through this. We go through an anteroom, a chamber, and we finally get into these private quarters. And we're like, ah, here we can have some privacy. We can bum, 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 <laughs> bum, bum. And the alarm symbol goes off. I was just off. thinking like iPhone goes off in the back. <laughs> It's absurd. And then there are the sounds of weapons and shouting. So Paul and Gurney, right to it. Go to the action. Gurney's like pulling his knife out on the way. Or no, I'm sorry, it's his gun. He has his sidearm. Paul stops to assess the scene once they get to the threshold. Smugglers are crouched in groups of three. Typical of Sadokar. Fadaikin are chanting Moadib, Moadib, Moadib (laughs) as they like circle around them. And, uh, Suddenly, somebody else notices Paul, someone within these groups of smugglers, and a black knife comes flying at him. Paul dodges. It clings against the wall and falls to the floor. It's Garney who picks it up and shows Paul it. And what do we have on that knife, Mike? Oh, what is it? It's the the symbol of the golden lion. It's the imperial crest. So it's it's like a hairline, yellow line that spirals around. And it's got, like, two eyes for, like, the lion. Yeah, yeah. It's, something, it's the hairline gold fiber set in. And, yeah, yeah. it's making that lion crest. That's uh, very these fancy. Kind of like swirls. Oh, it sounds like a beautiful knife. Uh, and Paul looks this over. And then he kisses what I think might be his first ducal order, at least in a while. Like, we did some shit with the uh, kinds when we first met up with them. But other than that, the ducal ring hasn't been on. We've been, like, Fremen oriented oh, the whole way, right? That's a good point. Paul says, Hold! The Duke Paul Atreides commands you to hold. And the fighting stops. It wavers. It's hesitant. And Paul accuses these men of being Sadokar. And we get like a really comical back and forth. <laughs> and like, I guess God bless the Sadokar for not just like caving. We're like, who says we're Sadokar? <laughs> it's like single tear down the like. <laughs> over the chest. It's like his V neck just sort of tears a little more. <laughs> Paul's like. This fucking knife says you're Sadokar. He's like, all right, all right. Who says you're the Duke? Yeah, I got him. I got him. I got him. And all these death commandos say I'm a Duke. It's like, come on, read the room, guy. And uh, the emperor, by law, dictated that I am a Duke. He gave it. Yeah, it's like, come on, you have orders to kill who? Uh, the Duke. Oh, damn it, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Uh, Paul asks Korba, like, is it like disregarding the Sadokar for a second? I'm like, how'd they even get these weapons? And he's like, ah, oh, they had cunning pockets in their still suits. Yeah, uh, Paul then he asks where Cheney is, and he holds his breath while he waits for an answer. And it's Stilgar whisper away. Satisfied with these answers, Paul goes up to the uh, Sadokar. He approaches them. He gets within striking distance of them. With that, the Fadaikin are all like on their heels. Yeah. They are not allowed to have Paul be in danger. Now, did you catch the reason for that? No. It is to preserve the wisdom of Moadib for the Fremen. Oh. 
I think that's a really good way to phrase that. Of like, they're, they're just bodyguards, but we're protecting the wisdom of Moadib for the Fremen. That's the purpose of the Fadaikin. Damn. Kinda awesome. Now, the Fremen had only two dead, four wounded, to the seven dead Sadokar, because we only have three remaining, one little group of them. And uh, Apollo. So there were 10 out of the 20 smugglers. Ooh, was it 20? Was our total number? Wasn't it? I don't get a total. I just well, there re- Paul uh, Gurney at one point says there were ten that were suspicious. Okay, sure, but like I, I can see it being half. Sure, it seems like a good number of them. Because what we're going to end up finding is like uh, it was their idea to come out here too, right? <laughs> uh, as this goes on, with the seven dead Sadokar at this point, Stilgar and Cheney are in the hall. Paul's like approaching them. He sees them real quick, but he's like, "This is all business right now. I can't deal with Cheney." He focuses on the Sadokar. He's going to finish this, and he's staring into the off-world whites of their eyes, which is like good turn of phrase, Frank. You can only use that in a few instances. So, off-world whites of their eyes, and Paul asks the man his name, and the guy he resists. He's not, he just remains silent, right? Mm-hmm. And Paul guesses that the Sadokar suggested going deeper into the desert. Then, I'm like, you guys um, wanted to go get the spice, and it's Gurney. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, the gasp. Come yeah. I'm like, okay, Gurney. Like, one, you're the trained guy. Like, you should know how to do with interrogation. That is a little weird. Yeah. Uh, unless they, like, played this up before and Gurney knows his role. But nonetheless, Paul smiles at this. It's what he wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And then he uses the voice on him to be like, tell you, me your name. Wait, wait, wait. Do, yeah. you th- do you think he's gasping because, like, he didn't put it together or because no one's ever seen a Star Trek blush and it's horrifying? Ooh, oh, little column A, little column B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me, give me a little bit. That's the kind of day it's been, yeah. Mike. Uh, but using the voice, Paul tells him, like, who are you? And he says, Captain Arasham, Imperial Sadokar. The man stop. His jaw drops. <laughs> that was a little guess from him, though. Yeah. <laughs> and he stares at Paul in confusion. The manner about him that had been dismissed, uh, that had dismissed his cavern as a barbarian warren melted away. He's taking everything a lot more serious now. He is. Also, Paul's getting better. He registered him with very few words. Only seen him fighting for like a moment there. Yep. Uh, I would uh, even go to like risk positing. Like, I don't know if Paul has to register you anymore because of the prescience. Oh. And where, again, I told you he was going to evolve like where he's at right, with the prescience. Right, right. It's going to be um, within the next two chapters. We'll get that cue. But like, it's different for him now. The voice on a stick. That's I, scary. I, well, I kind of think he could try it in the prescience. In those like, oh, yeah. in those alternate histories, I'm not going to go down. And then be like, I'm just like, I know for the most part, these ones work. So I'll do this. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe get like, so ballpark close. Then he, he's all, he's just too good. He's like Superman right now. He's, <laughs> he's past the point of no return. Right, right, right. Um, but I love it. So now Paul muses how much the Harkonnens and the emperor would love to know what this captain knows. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, Paul Atreides is right here. Either one of them would love to know it, but. I want the emperor to know. The emperor has to know is how Paul yeah. tells it. Paul thinks it. He's not even saying it so loud. So we know this is a narrative truth. His plan requires the emperor know he is alive and down here on Arrakis. He wants this man to get out. So still using the voice, Paul said, submit, captain. The man at the captain's left leapt without warning towards Cause, Paul. Cause they don't submit. Mm-hmm. Well, so he voiced the middle one. Yeah. He did get him. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. But others but don't, But the other right? guy's like, we're not going to submit. He goes in and... 
He gets a knife to the chest. And this what was his name? We actually got a name for this. Arkhan. Arisham? Aramshin? For the captain. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike. he kills the other Sardaukar that's like rushing in. Yep. He stabs him right in the chest. The guy falls right to the floor. He turns to the sole remaining companion. I decide what best serves his majesty. Understood? He goes, yeah, boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> he turns to Paul. And, uh, oh, I'd also say Sardaukar. Hardaukar to a, uh, hardcore to a fault. Hardaukar? Hardaukar. Yeah, that is totally what came out of my mouth. Hardaukar to a fault. Hardcore to a fault. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. That's so good. Um, the commander disarms the remaining ally. He's like, you put down your weapon. He does. And he tells Paul, I killed a friend for you. Remember that. And uh, Paul's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He sort of is like, I don't know why you did that. I don't care if you live or die, but that was cute. And, uh, I said submit. I didn't say kill your buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. He just told me, you are a prisoner who has submitted. That's how he finishes the sentence. I'm just like, you figure it out. And it's just like, oh, that's so good and cold. I was like, fuck you, Sadokar. Now, uh, as they take the prisoners out, it's uh, Corba tries to apologize to Paul again. He's just like, oh, oh boss, I'm, the failure was mine. I messed I, up. I should have warned you. Uh, and Paul stops him. And this is where we get to that part last mm-hmm. week. This is, I love this run through. I'm just like everything in the solder car. I'm like, no, no, Corba, that's on me. And it's like he goes through this litany of lists. And you're like, yeah, that was on you, Paul. Because what did you say to Cheney? There might be some untrustworthy men among the smugglers. That's yeah. not the same as sugar wire, transmitters in the teeth. I was like, going to say. Toenails. It's like the fault is mine. And he even had the audacity to say, like, where'd they get the weapons from? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Come right. on, Paul. <laughs> so I like that he, he does. Maybe, like, this is him. Uh, ooh, remember that line of, like, once you give orders, you have to always give orders? Oh. Maybe that's it. And this is him doubling back of, like, this is so I don't have to give second Sonic orders. Just do everything and then know you still miss something. Yeah, I like that. And now, with that whole explanation, Corbin's just like, so we kill them? That sounds like a lot, that's <laughs> that a lot of work, easy. boss. I'm like, uh, I could just like, kill them. We could get some water. I see a win-win. And uh, How much water do you want me to use to shave this man's body butt <laughs> <yeah>. naked? <laughs> oh, Mike, you, you drive shave, son yeah, car. Yeah. Don't worry, we're not wasting water on these guys. Um, but Paul tells him, like, no, no, Corba, I want them to escape. And I'm just like, wait, how are they going to survive in the desert? Even assuming Salusa Secunda's survival skills, like let's say the natural environment being like the, just the heat doesn't kill them. How are they not going to get wormed on their like run out to wherever the fuck they go? I get they can build a transmitter with like hidden body parts. They can call a guild ship. Sure. It's just that time frame to get to somewhere no, safe. I think the transmitter is the way... That would go about to what they would just call for help. Like, yep, all right, boys. Like, oh, give no, me your left oh, toenail. No. Give me your finger, yeah, yeah, and no, I no, need no. your right too. No, so I'm saying they build the transport, yeah. but I'm like, I assume they're gonna leave Habayana Erg though, and not call a guild liner like right here, right? Probably not. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I don't know, but so like, it's good enough though. They're gonna escape, and ultimately, man, they do escape. They make it. I feel like that's a bit of a plot hole. Yeah, I, I think it is a huge plot hole. And one of the ones where you just like, the book starts going so fast at this point where you just like, page turn, don't worry. I just keep going. I mean, like, I, I get that with the momentum, but like, maybe you're going too fast that you're missing some like blatantly obvious things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, no, and I'm just saying, I think I think you as the reader 
buy it, just buy into it yeah, more I'm, at this point. A yeah. lot happens in this. So like, I give you that, but like, I, it, if it's you like, slow it down, I got no it explanation. It just contradicts a lot of things that we've established. It's like, this is why it's so scary. Yeah. The desert like, It's not that scary after all. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we're saying Sadokar can ride worms. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But Gurney, though, he's worried about something else. And he's like, no, no, boss. Paul, you don't understand. You have uh, shamed Sadokar. If they if word gets back, the emperor will roast you over a slow fire. Oh, like, it's such I a big don't deal. Don't think he's gonna be able to do that. He's like, oh, Gurney, we've been slaying Sotokar wholesale for like two years now. <laughs> um, like that's the least of my. What are you talking about, man? And this was the biggest one where I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with Gurney? I'm just like. <laughs> That one makes no sense to me yeah. whatsoever. With how everything else is gone and how you just saw us treat those Sotokar. Mm -hmm. No, we're not worried about that. Uh, grow up, man. Uh, but something big in that melee happened for Paul. And this is what you brought up at the very beginning of the chapter. Um, where Paul thinks to himself, something had happened inside him while he faced the Sotokar. The sum of decisions had accumulated in his awareness. And then he changes the subject and he says, Gurney, are there many guildsmen around Raban? Ooh. Ooh. Now Gurney's very confused, but he's like, yeah, 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 yeah sure. Guildsmen? They're they're buying up all the spice, like it's the most precious thing in the universe. Like it's the most precious thing in the universe. Paul is like delighted to hear mm -hmm. that be the phrase of turn, right? And Paul tells Gurney, like, no, we control the spice, Gurney. Like, like I was going to say, this is twofold. You don't only like have the emperor under your thumb at that point. You also have the guild under your thumb with controlling the spice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a lot of people would know that other than Paul. Yeah, and uh, let me just push back because Gurney is like, you don't control the spice. The Harkonnens control the spice. Come on. And what does Paul say? Um, no, it's like only if uh, I, I don't have it verbatim, but like I, I got it. Hold on. You control. Oh yeah. The people who can destroy a thing, they control it. And he, uh, he waved a hand to silence further remarks from Gurney. He nodded to Stilgar, who stopped in front of Paul, Cheney beside him. Now, we do end up changing our next plot of course, but it looks like you had a thought uh, to go no, on no, to no. Uh, but this, I mean, this is a big red button, is what it is. He's basically threatened to say, we could get rid of all of this. Right, we could destroy the spice. Knowing full well, that also means the destruction of the Fremen. Do you, do you think he means that literally or figuratively? I mean, I think they could do it literally they know how to how i mean you just continue your terraforming or you poison the worms on a planet-wide scale yeah you think of every worm on arrakis i'll tell you that that's not the way that you can do it okay but there is a paul actually has a method i was right, curious right. of like i'm like i don't know how you would know about it thus far it uh hasn't been alluded to yet Okay. Paul's gonna tell us, but there's a Didn't way. Can we talk like postulate the idea that like you could like send a poisoned body out into the erg, and if a worm ate it, then they would be poisoned as well. Yeah, yes, you're very close. It's not a poison. So uh, I think you're mixing up. It was during the water rights conversation. Yeah. That is the um uh like possessed person. That's the water, right, right. the water of a person. Uh, but there's another kind of. It's the opposite of the water of life. Is the water of death. There's a water of death. 
that makes the reaction that you were just describing. It causes oh. like it's like a death catalyst among the uh, sand trout kind of deal. Mm. It infects the sand trout. And if you infect the sand trout, then you infect That's the spice. That's how you end it. Yeah, yeah. So like the terraforming plan that would take too long. Right, right, right. The smugglers can keep. But getting if you spice. make the spice deadlier than not having the spice. Right. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I just want to highlight the two plans that you threw out there. Yeah, yeah. To be like that one, that would work, but the time frame's too long. Okay. The hunting of the, like killing, drowning all the worms, I think if we don't got a pool big enough. We can drown little worms. <laughs> we don't got a kiddie pool big enough for the mile and a half <laughs> Leviathan we wrote the desert. Uh, but so it was like, what well, you were kind of getting is the water or death thing, which we, uh, Paul's going to talk about later okay. and finally tell us. But just to let you know, though, that Paul means this literally. There is a way to destroy all the spice in the universe and just end this. In it's a over. single, like, moment? It would be not in a single moment, but it would be in, uh, you wouldn't be able to undo the catalyst reaction. Would it be destroying the guild? Because, you, like, if you can't transport it, then... Well, well, we would, you wouldn't be able to fold space, so essentially killing the guild. We'd still have highliners and stuff, but, like, yeah, no one would be able to pilot that. Yeah, yeah. They'd be useless. Everything would just come to a halt again. We would go back to that dark age. Well, not just a halt. Anyone that's using the spice will eventually die. Yep. Yeah, you'll have a, a large wiping. Basically, only the peasants will live. Jeez. Oh, wow. It'd be, it'd be a massive reset to the entire universe. This is like, yeah, wow. In like cold stop, too. Like, we're just stopping today. So, th Wow. Yeah, everyone would have their stockpiles. So stockpiles probably last like 50 years. And that's like a generous... Uh, so I'm guessing his plan is going to be to take the guild basically hostage and be like, so, extrapolate, yeah, let's talk. Yeah. Okay, using the guild as his main leveraging yeah. chip? Sure. I mean, it looks like the two forces would be either guild or Chome are the most powerful, like, external of the government. Well, because I, I think we're maybe... Let's take a book out of Stilgar's... Or, or, sorry, let's take a page out of Stilgar's book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe this... You could think of this as a double entendre from Paul. Okay. One who can destroy a thing controls it. Now, maybe this isn't just about the spice here. Maybe this is also about the guild. Maybe this is also about the Imperium. Oh, 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 definitely, definitely. I'm like, I think even without, okay, no, actually, yeah, leading into Stilgar's double entendre. Yeah, yeah, saying like, because once you have spice, everything yeah. depended on spice, I control it. Because like, too. I was thinking about spice in this, but like, the more I think about it, the more we talk, spice the more is, I think it's about the like, universe. Paul really does have the entire like Imperium in the palm of his hand if he wants. It it's might. not even like, he doesn't have to fight for anything. He has it. If, if there's one thing you and I know more than anything else, and we've covered every episode we go through, it's that the spice must flow. Yeah. That's the key to everything. All forces are dependent upon it that matter. Except for the Mentats. Yeah, that's sapo they, juice. They got sapo well, juice. Well, no, if they can't get to the plant that produces <laughs> the sapo juice. <laughs> Until we find out it's got like a spice derivative into it. <laughs> um, but okay. Well, no, me, no. Here's yeah. the thing. If you can't transport the sapo juice, then the Mentats oh, lose yeah. their ability to function too. They might as well hit some melange while uh, <laughs> there's any round. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, I, well, how close is the cause to every other planet? We're all in like one system we'll anyway, find right? find out in one of my gazetteers, I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe that's when the Empire realizes, oh, guys, we're all really close. We don't need to fold space <laughs> at all. <Yeah. laughs> but I guess they wouldn't know, would they? Right, right. Guild, we, wouldn't that be the ultimate, like, oh, wool the, over the Imperium's eyes? It's like, you guys are all neighbors. You don't actually need us. <laughs> we can't fold space, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that would, New Dune Theory. That would be pretty good. 
You guys all live in the same system. <laughs> but let's continue on with this, Mike. So I told you that Stilgar and Cheney are kind of right with Paul now. We need to switch from the Sadokar to Stilgar. We settled the Sadokar mm-hmm. deal. The prisoners are being taken off by Korbar. We got to settle the Stilgar account. Now, Paul offers Stilgar the Sadokar blade. Puts Ooh. it right in his fucking hands. And uh, with that, he says... Could you draw my life's blood with that knife? Damn. Stilgar's like, oh, is this the moment? Yeah, Stilgar just says, for the good of the tribe. And he has to, like, growl it out. You've already, like, you've really set Stilgar off with this. He didn't see this coming. This was not his plan. Like, he was expecting this all day, and you still blindsided him. (laughs) You got him, (laughs) yep. And uh, after it, Stilgar asks Paul, like, are you calling me out? And Paul just replies like, oh, if I am, uh, I won't strike at you. I'll let you just cut me down. I won't even draw my knife. He gives him a very Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? You'll strike me down, I'll come back stronger. Um, And Chaney bursts out in alarm at this. She has no idea what's going on. She looks at Stilgar, to Gurney, to Paul. I like that she's looking to Gurney for answers, like, what's going on? Again, you have to be like, what did you do? Is this... Like, that's why I asked you if you think Stilgar factored Gurney into this. Like, Gurney's a wild card. Chaney is entirely bought into the myth. And now she's like, which one of you fucked this up? Because, like, (laughs) if Stilgar cuts down my man, I'm going to be pissed. And I might kill Stilgar. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. Uh, But she's really worried about this. And um, Paul ends up asking uh, Stilgar, like, do you think you could lift your hand against me? Stilgar began to tremble. It's the way, he muttered. That trembling, like, this is Fremen culture breaking. This is it. This is like the last remnant of how things used to be. The ways are changing right now. Stilgar's trembling with an imperial knife in his hand. A knife that shouldn't be in the Sietch, shouldn't be on this planet. It's only here because Paul brought it into the Sietch the same way he brought Gurney. He overstepped his bounds. He's pushing uh, the naive out. Now, goes on. It's the way to kill off-world strangers found in the desert and take their water as a gift from Shai Halud. Yet you permitted two such to live one night, my mother and myself. As Stilgar remained silent, trembling, staring at him, Paul said, Ways change still. You have changed them yourself. Now it's the Messiah putting the weight on you, letting you know you've already shaped everything. You've already put your hand on the scale in a lot of the ways. I shouldn't exist but for what you did, right? How you've been involved in this legend. Now, I have to remind you here that Paul is, again, he's not just breaking one man. He's breaking the entire culture. This yeah. is the Fremen changing here. So, oh, this is, this is uh, going back to that opening quote. We're going back to the individual in a way. Mm-hmm. We're, we're breaking this. Kind of. I feel like, like you're... He, you're I don't know if you're either seeing... I think you're seeing the individual dissolve into community. Well, I mean, that's what I think the religion as a whole was suggesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying, like, Stilgar, as, like, the individual naive, this person who oh. gets to make the decisions, it's it's not in control anymore. Mm-hmm. He can't strike down Paul. And it's not because it's, he knows that's good for the tribe, right? He's already said, that's why I would strike you down. Right. But he can't do it. The religion has subsumed in. The, uh, the duty... And the law are now, like, merged in. You can't attack the naive, Ooh. the Lisan Agayev. It's not exactly the angle it's taking, but I like it better than what it, I was it's, originally... It's getting there? Yeah. Now, Stilgar looks down at the imperial knife in his hand. 
And I think it's very significant, again, that it's the Imperial... Again, actually, he's looking at the Imperial crest at that. Mm. He's seeing the uh, representation of the Emperor. This thing that, from the beginning of the Zensuni history, they've bucked. They don't acknowledge any authority besides them, right? Mm. Now, already, in doing this, he is bending the knee to the Duke of an Imperial world. Paul is representative. Paul is this knife, in a way. This is a, oh yeah, that duality of person, right? Well, because he always tr- he trusts Usul, but he doesn't trust exactly, Paul. exactly. In a way, I almost feel like uh, if we can bring in another phrase, uh, borrowing from like the way of the knife. I feel like Stilgar is trying yeah. to decide where do I cut right now? Right, where, where I, is this finished? Attitude of the knife. Mm, attitude. Thank you. Attitude of the knife. Um. I was actually on the cover of the uh, Lawrence of Arabia's book, The Seven Mm -hmm. Pillars of Wisdom. It says, uh, I believe it's the way of the knife is death and cleanliness. Oh. Very cool. Um, So this continues on with Paul saying, when I am Duke in Arakeen with Cheney by my side, do you think I'll have time to concern myself with every detail of governing Tabar Siach? Paul asked. Do you concern yourself with the internal problems of every family? And this, I think this is my favorite example of this like power uh, structure that he's setting up here of like, I'm going to be above the naive. Would I go into everyone? Like, are you going to go into every home and tell Hara how to sweep up her Yali? No, hell no. Like you don't got time for that. And it makes them see how this could work. Right. Like it's just one more tier of authority essentially. And uh, Paul continues, will I cut off my right arm? And Paul says, as Stilgar remains silent, when Stilgar finally speaks, all he can say is, the young man of his siege he could kill, but not the Lisan Agaib. Like, he could step into the ring with Usal. He can't with the Mahdi, with the voice of the outer world. Yeah. Right? And he drops. And he knows that Paul was playing him. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. whole way through. He drops that knife. It clatters to the floor. And he says... It also makes him wonder, like, did he even have a choice? Ooh, did he? Uh, what I do you think, think he did. No. I think uh, he's sort of like, and there's no other way out of this. This, no. is, this is the best way. But when he says ways change right there, that's it. In a way, that was the death of Stilgar. That was like the death of like the... Fremen. The as Iraqi, uh, uh, Arakeen Fremen? That's perfect. Perfect way to... Uh, yeah, I don't. Is there? Yeah, because I see you're. You're like. Is that like? Is that the city or is that the? They were Fremen until they like the Zensuni no, no, got here, no, and then the two ways I would describe them is like, uh, like Arakeen Fremen and a Tradian Fremen. Oh, we whoa. at least we at least call it a Tradian Fremen from this point on. Do we really? Yeah, That's yeah. Dope. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't you can't separate right? the influence. The the what what Paul is going to do to them? They are a Tradian Fremen from this moment on. Wow. Now. Oh, also two things. One, harmonica start playing in the background, and Bob Dylan comes from behind a rock with a guitar, starts singing. What song? Times they are changing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know if he was uh, playing and Hurricane. And he's two. Stilgar's new name is Wasgar. Oh, <gasps> dun dun dun! <laughs> All right, continue. Sick, sick burn, sick burn. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, I kind of, I guess I want to kind of you, uh, ask you, what did that knife mean to you then? Either like a Stilgar holding on to it that whole time, its imperial origin, 
Is there any other thing you want to pull from that? I just feel like that was very symbolic, uh, being there for that whole act. Hmm. I do like your suggestion that it represents the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not even the Imperium, but the uh, Imperial side of Paul. Yeah, yeah, or that fact. That would even yeah. maybe make more sense with what he set up a few chapters ago. But you can, you can make a case that this represents that, or you can make a case that this represents the future of his tribe. Ooh, okay, like them assuming this sort of mantle? Like his action. What do you mean? Like whether he, you, like chooses to wield that knife or not in a way he already knows he can't mm-hmm. he's sort of been checkmated not by paul but by his own culture and beliefs i get that's the whole point right yeah. right it's everything it's never just paul it's fucking part fucking part it's like all these people like this whole um uh perfect set of circumstances that are waiting for paul to fall into mm. uh even more so than the bene Gesserit talking about jessica bang Gesserit could not have planned this no no they could not they wish they could uh now like i said i think just think that this whole universe has passed a crucible at this moment like everything has changed here in palpable ways that you and i can see in the moment and now we'll watch Frank extrapolate on them for the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. With this, uh, Paul turns to Cheney and he tells her, go to my mother, send her here that her counsel will be available. And uh, she sort of uh, cuts him off and she's like, but you said we were going to the south. Of like, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see Leto, <laughs> the Leto the second. Paul's is like, I was wrong. The Harkonnens are not there. The war is not there. Quick point. So Lady Jessica's in the South. Yes. So it's just like, hey, why don't you go to the South and get her? Because we need to do something else. Yeah. Right? So Lady Jessica was just with Baby Leah. Yep. And Hara. And Tharthar. And Tharthar. Who's looking after Leto II? We went over this. Misra. Misra? Is uh, Stogar's other wife. Okay. She's totally watching the baby. That's why she didn't show up at Ladies' Night. Okay. Otherwise, okay. why the fuck okay. didn't we invite Misra? But... I was just wondering, just like, where's the baby? Where's the baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all going to be a long thing. Like, Paul, we lost you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> you tell that to Lisan Al Gaib. Oh, God. You delegate. Time to work on later number three. You delegate. You have your friend tell him. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. I, I think, I like, think Misra... Hey, Brooke, we know you're close with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> He's not taking that hit. He's like, get Shislaki. <laughs> you want Shislaki. Uh, or, or Shamoon? What's Shamoon been doing lately? I haven't seen... Yeah, maybe Shamoon. Last I knew, he was sweeping up footprints. I, I, I like to imagine when Brooke is like, hey, I don't throw shit at the fan. I just clean shit up. <laughs> <laughs> just clean it all up. Now, uh, I'd like, though, that she kind of bucks back at this. And Paul's telling him, look, the war is not there. Look, he's had a change of heart now. Well, well no, he, again, he's already come to a decision now. Like, I know what we have to do. Oh, or yeah. I know what I've decided I'm sorry. to do. I guess the biggest purpose was that he didn't want to have to conf- deal with Stilgar. He was going south to avoid dealing with Stilgar, mm-hmm. right? And now that that is at least set aside, he's like... Let's get shit rolling. Uh, yeah. I want to go have fun in the north. I want to go raiding. And uh, he, um, Cheney accepts this. I like it. She took a deep breath, accepting this as a desert woman accepted all necessities in the midst of a life involved with death. Just like, Jesus. Yeah. She's a war widow. kind of, Not a widow, obviously. But Excuse a, me? What did we do? War wife? Uh, I don't know what the phrase is for that. I don't know either. 
just like a yeah, like a wife of a soldier kind of deal, where like they're being deployed all the time, and you have you have to live with that kind of reality. Okay. Uh, just like they're going, they're gone. That's it, and you're stuck here. This is a little different where Cheney's being Cheney's being put in a safe spot, whereas Cheney would like to be on the front lines the whole right, time. Right. She which wants is, to be fighting too. I love her for that. Uh, and then how much of a punishment this must be to her for Paul to be like, you need to go to the south and stay down there. Everyone else is going to come up north though. He's my mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to stay down there. Um, but it, it would let him fight better, so she just accepts it, I guess. Uh, I don't like it though. Mm-hmm. And. He, she has a message she's got to bring, though. Jessica alone, uh, she has to tell Jessica alone that Stilgar accepts Paul as his duke. Now, the fact that Paul phrases it that way, I didn't get that impression in that a little exchange, but it's so stark here to be like, he's basically saying Stilgar bent the knee. Yeah, it's like Stilgar, you get to tell her this is what was said. But no, no, just reflecting on what we just had the Stilgar, or mm-hmm. the Sadokar do, Stilgar submitted, which is not True. what a naive does. And I think it's this very embarrassing and like, um, kind of cuts out a part of him. Hmm. Do you, do you kind do you of think Paul realizes what he's saying here? I I don't know if like he intends that inflection or even yeah, because we already and, know that he can mess up his words. Sure, sure. He wa- he walks into pillars all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah who saws? Uh, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I just I just I think using that wording though is very strong for everything. Is how we highlighted it so far. Um, but he wants Jessica to find a way among the young men. Like, And I like that he's already not sure about this plan, but he's like, we desperately need to figure something out because I've already put us on this course, right? right? There's no going back. Um, so we need to make them accept it. And the really key point here is Cheney doesn't accept that order. She looks to uh, Stilgar for confirmation because that's her naive. Right. That's who's in charge. Paul's not in fucking charge. Mm-hmm. Paul's just the Messiah. Uh, so I think that was a really interesting and puts a lot of weight on how she feels towards Stilgar, let alone that being her godfather right. and the one who like essentially raised her. Now, Paul orders Cheney to go to the south. Um, you know, she's going to be very lonely there. And I like that they're phrasing, though, that sort of like it just ends with him saying Sahaya. Of sort of like pleading with her, but using her pet name. Hmm. It's also like how they kind of part here and say goodbye. Uh, and it's sort of like she accepts it. That's sort of the end of their discussion there. I, 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 it's sort of a sweet ending to that uh, little bitterness there. And when Paul tor- turns to Gurney, Gurney is glaring at him. Gurney's got death in his eyes. And it was at the mention of Mother being Jessica. Right. Paul missed this, though, because he was focused on Cheney. He doesn't I even... don't get how Paul misses this. Again, focus. I mean, he's focused on his wife, but... Everybody's dropping the ball today a little oh. bit. And he turns back to Gurney, and Gurney's got this, like, death look on him. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. And he, uh, yeah, Gurney, yeah, mom's alive. Duncan saved us. And Gurney's like, oh, what happened to Duncan? He's like, yeah. Duncan's dead, too. We got to break that. Yeah. Duncan died buying them some time. Now, Gurney has a thought. He keeps to himself, which, again, is, like, very, why wouldn't Gurney tell Paul this right now if you really thought this was true? Yeah. Be like, before you go back and your mom kills you like she did your father... Any of those things. This is just a classic, like, bl- like blunder. Now, like, it's it's the Thufir, uh like infection. I don't yeah. know what it is, but he says the she witch alive. Gurney thought the one I swore vengeance against alive, and it's obvious Duke Paul doesn't know what manner of creature gave birth to him. 
uh, gave him birth, the evil one, betrayer of his own father to the Harkonnens. And Paul just goes past Gurney, and he looks back once. A, he sees, like, all the wounded already gone at this point. No no registering of, like, Gurney's emotions. And then he just evaluating that battlefield where the wounded were. He's like, oh, shit. I didn't even draw my blade, and they're definitely going to say I killed 20 Sadaqar with my bare hands today because <laughs> yeah. they always build up the legend no yeah. matter what yeah. happens. There's no getting out of this. And uh, I don't think it's just bare hands. Yeah, yeah. That is like, <laughs> but uh, it probably would be. Yeah, well, I think that's also like, he's probably like, I should have drawn my knife. At least then they would have said I killed 20 with my knife. Because he didn't draw the knife, I think that's why they're going to say bare hands in a way. Uh, it. I don't know. I think no, that's because, like, no matter what, they're gonna give the killing to Moadib. Well, All no, the killing sure. came. It just says by his own hand. So sure, I sure, think it sure. Just means like he's the one who did it. Oh, I'd like to think that they they literally believe he strangled him. Maybe. Yeah. Or like just judo. I mean, he Re- did make them submit with his voice alone. He only had a judo chop, Jameis. Yes. Back of the neck, and true. he went down. That's true. So, and hey, he didn't even bleed that day. Moadib. That's true. Now this ends with our final uh, paragraph here. And we have, I think it's a Gurney perspective most of the mm. way. <clears throat> Gurney followed with Stilgar, stepping on ground that he did not even feel. The cavern with its yellow light of glow globes was forced out of his thoughts by rage. The she-witch alive. While those she betrayed are bones in lonesome graves. I must contrive it that Paul learns the truth about her before I slay her. Yeah, there's a little too much fear in here. Yeah, yeah. There's a lo- Maybe their correspondence. Maybe that's what got to him. Dear pen pal. Yeah, and Thufir, all he wrote about was like uh, the the Bene Gesserit witch over and over and over, page after page. Well, yeah, I mean, like he lost it all. Everything. If he can find someone to like pin it on. <laughs> oh wait, Thufir or Gurney? Gurney. Okay, I was saying of all people, Thufir really lost. Oh yeah. Three generations he invested. Maybe that's why he's so betrayed by the thought of her being. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he would definitely infect him with it. But uh, that brings us to the end of our little chapter, Mike. Uh, is there anything else you want to ask or dwell on in there? Beyond, like, obviously Gurney's murderous intentions towards I, Jessica. Yeah, no, I don't know. Those are very clearly superimposed onto him. He is going to take that Thufir track from us from now mm-hmm. on. Um, we've more or less resolved the Stilgar bit. Yeah. How do you think the young men are going to take it? Oh, there's going to be some division, I think. But the bigger thing is, how is Jessica going to take this? What do you mean? I don't think this was in her plan. Okay, what do you think her plan was? I don't know. Probably like Slay. Well, she always, always about Paul's ascendancy. Yeah, well, I... And only about Paul's ascendancy. I don't know, then. I, I feel like she would be equally okay with, like, Stilgar dropping, like... Having Stilgar out of the picture, I don't think he was a factor. Obviously, a benefit being around, but right, like, right, right. I think she would be willing to have Paul kill Stilgar to get Paul where she wants. No, him I know be. she would. Yeah, I know she would. Mm-hmm. Just to get him back to the Benny Jesuit as fast as possible. Yeah, and on that track. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, mainly it's going to be, uh, I think, up to Aaliyah. She was our spy that we dispatched to the youth, so we'll see what she reports back. That's true. If we get a chance to hear from her, I really am more. Like, Paul and Lady Jessica, I think they're already so far driven apart from, like, where they once were. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they could ever really come together and be on the same, like, mindset or page. Because, obviously, at the end of the day, Lady Jessica is his mother. I guess, House Atreides. Mm-hmm. But she is 
Benny Gesserit at her core. Yes. And like in the first chapter, she was willing to let guys Helmaheim kill her son for that test. For the sake of that test, yeah. Yeah. So I wanna I'm curious to see what Aaliyah's viewpoint is like, because she's got all of Lady Jessica's memories, but she's also a little kid. And she has more in common with Paul than I think she'll ever have with anyone else, or Paul will ever have with anyone else. Yeah, like uh Aaliyah is probably the only free agent in the game. Mm-hmm. Like with yes, she has Benny Desert ties, but she has no allegiance. True. Outside of probably Atreides. True. So that'll that'll be real interesting to see evolve. <laughs> I don't need to breastfeed anymore. I'm a uh, own baby. Yeah, I don't know. That that was that's an awkward one. That's a very awkward <laughs> oh, one. Oh god, this would be terrible. That's a fully conscious person breastfeeding. <laughs> that's weird. It's weird. I think I think with that, Mike, uh, why don't we go check in with the Chome Overlords? Because I got nothing to cover right, come back right. from. Out of wine, Derek. Sorry, but we'll just have to move hey, on. Such is life. I poured you a glass of some clear liquid. Don't worry about what's in it, but we're going to continue <laughs> okay. onward. Uh just in time, hey, let, let's forget what's in the glass and let's talk about the fact that we partnered with Audible. Hey, I'll pour it right out. <laughs> right now, they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash Pod. Ooh, that is awesome. What can I get with that? Okay, well, when they sign up, they get a credit that they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles like Dune. They get a free audiobook. Ooh, and you can choose anything you want, right? Anything you want. One credit equals one audiobook. That's amazing. And if they sign up with their Amazon Prime account, yeah. they get two. Ooh, even better. It's pretty good. Twice as many, some would say. Exactly. And each month that I run after, they'll get one credit that they can use to spend on a new audiobook. Nice. It's pretty good. So we, uh, I mean, obviously we're avid fans of Audible. Mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? Dude, we've been knocking them out. And honestly, like, since we've been doing these uh, go-tos and these recommendations, mm-hmm. we've been burning through my library and I gotta take a little break. And uh, But I got some, uh, some Audible pro tips for you guys right here. Ooh. One, Mike, did you know there's a sleep button you can hit? And uh, it, you can choose a timer for I it. I actually fall asleep to Audible all the time. It's ri- so, like, say you hit, like, 30 minutes. It goes to the 30 minutes. And when it hits that timer, it doesn't just stop. Beta. A little... Well, a button comes up, too. So you, if you're still up, you can hit sleep, uh, and it'll go 30 more minutes. You know, you can put yeah, it off, yeah. dismiss. But then, yeah, it slowly fades down. And it's a really great gradient that mm-hmm. you won't even notice. You and when you hit right resume out. again, if you, you know, you... Uh, have fallen asleep it'll go ahead and rewind quite a bit as well just Ooh. be like oh by the way in case you just, missed just in case we know you were passed out it's pretty good now that just be my pro tip i do have a little recommendation though because there are a number of audible originals on there and there are some audible original podcasts as well buried within those mike there's a gem you gotta check it out it is the audible original podcast heist with michael kane what? Yeah. Now, admittedly, Sir Michael Caine only narrates a few parts. He does like a solid <laughs> intro and a solid outro. He's not there for the whole thing, Mike. This guy's got shit to do. Uh, but otherwise, you get to hear it directly from like either the detective or in some cases like the crooks involved, you know, who have like been turned in. Uh, and it's like their firsthand accounts of this. The very first episode is called Underneath Diamond City, and it is about the largest diamond heist in history. Really? Do you know what year that happened no. in? 2003. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How did I not know about this? A hundred million in gold, silver, obviously diamonds, and other precious stones. 
taken. Do you know what their tools were, Mike, that they used? Something really dumb. A couple of plastic bags, a piece of wire, a little tape, a flat piece of aluminum. Oh, oh, and gloves. You gotta have gloves. <laughs> oh my god. And they completely sacked Antwerp. It is amazing. It's a really fun story. And I believe they never fully recovered all the gems. Oh, there's still stuff out there. No, but the worst part is, or the best part, depending on how you look at it, is that because Antwerp is the Diamond City, inevitably they've been sold back into Antwerp. And they have to go back there. So, like, oh, it's where it all ends oh, up. It's full a, circle. Weird. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, uh, I got to recommend to you guys the Audible original podcast, Heist with Michael Caine. That is really awesome but hey Derek yeah days are up what if you don't like it what if it's not for you hey you go check your email you're gonna find a little message in there day 29 saying cancel <laughs> cancel cancel <laughs> they'll give you a courtesy email so that you don't get charged accidentally that's how you say that <laughs> <laughs> which is great because not a lot of companies do that out there they're yeah. looking out for the little guy there but hey here's the thing why would you ever want to quit I can't imagine. I'm at 47 titles and counting. It's amazing. But if you do, hey, doesn't matter. Your Audible library is yours for life. I get to keep all 47? Get that free audiobook. You get to keep it, those 47. If you cancel tomorrow, they're still yours. Yes. You can sign back up anytime you want if you want to get more credits. It's really convenient. I love yeah, it. I, I have taken it off for a few months. Like, I think last year, there was a little bit where I was like, oh, I'm not using this. I turned it off. And then I was like, I really want my Audible back. And turn, drop, turn drop that some, back on. Drop yeah. some green on some credits. <laughs> But, hey, guys, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So, guys, go on there. Get any book you like. Let us know what you picked up. Go check out the original podcast. There's another podcast you can find out in there called <gasps> Spice World Pod if Whoa! you search well enough. And all wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Are we on there? Oh, yeah, Mike. Uh, I can even tell you that. I deliberately did this. <gasps> This is a surprise to me. Is this a birthday present? Oh, yeah. Oh, we're listed on there, man. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know you didn't know. That's amazing. Hell, yeah. This Check it great. out. And all that's available if you go to audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. Oh, all right. I almost just want to go out and celebrate, but I guess we'll finish the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I got a deep dive, Mike. Another. Yeah, right, right. <sighs> all right, Mike. Taxes are paid. Chum bills are set. We don't got to go down and vote there. We can we can do some deep dives. I don't know if I want to. I think that it, it's pretty cutthroat. Price industry. of chome sock is not looking good right now. Yeah, I want to get in a highlighter. I heard about that one that disappeared with the emperor on it. Uh, but I got two deep dives for you. I heard some Zinsuni were talking. They all bought it the same day. They said it was great. It's yeah. all going to the promised land. Uh, but I got two things on you, very closely intertwined. Oh, but uh, I think I'm going to start with someone from the chapter. Okay. So you met a captain of the Imperial Sodakar, but they forgot to tell you his first name. It was, his name was Captain Aramsham? Yes. Captain Otto, Otto Arasham, Imperial Sodakar. Otto Arasham? His name's Otto. Apparently he's German. Uh, yeah, the encyclopedia. Oh, man. Why didn't you use a German accent during that? Uh, oh, sh oh, planning. My God, I'm planning that far ahead. <laughs> Good call. I don't know why. I'd, well, he only had the, like, the one line with it. Uh... You don't want to. I don't think you want me to, to be honest with you. But I just thought it was ridiculous that of all things, we take a character and give him a first name. Yeah. This is an anathema to this whole book. I don't think Frank read this. He would have immediately thrown this out. Let, let's take a look at Otto Arasham and see what his how his career kind of pans out. All right. The Sadokar captain discredited in the Arrakis action of 101 93. 
So what we just saw was his discrediting. Yeah, right. Oh, and for sure we know yeah. like two years. Yeah. Again. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. We actually have a date stamp on it now. I got you one from, uh, from the encyclopedia. We'll wait for Frank to chime all right, in. All right, all right. Now, having in- infiltrated Gurney Halleck's crew of melange smugglers, he and his patrol failed to assassinate Paul Atreides when Paul and Gurney were reunited. Later, used as an Atreides messenger to House Carino, he was returned to Seleucus Secundus in disgrace. Oh, so, this is what I was yeah. telling you. He makes it out. They do escape. The message gets back. I, I really wonder how they did that. And I don't know. Would have been a wild trip through the desert. However, mm. this continues on. He became obsessed with his failure and with his cowardly refusal to commit suicide when captured by the Fremen. His guilt led to the authorship of the Sadokar Strike, a manic and highly jingonistic history of the soldier fanatics. Ooh. Yeah, so Jingonistic is obviously going to be uh, extremely patriotic, especially in the form of like aggressive or warlike foreign policy. <laughs> um, Sadokar for everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> these are no Sadokar for salvation. Now, more significantly, he founded an extremist group of disenchanted Sadokar known as the Final Force. The final force? What did they do? Oh, I don't know, but they are very uh, Nazi. Like, I think. Oh, in never a lot mind. Of I'm less inclined. Oh, yeah. You, you don't want to join oh, the final God. force, Mike. I don't think this is a good thing. Uh, and they advocated a return to the Spartan regime of past glories. So they basically want to take the Sadokar and go back to whenever I told you they were based on the Sardu, this original tribe on like Sadokar. Okay, yeah. They're like, we want to roll it back to our most primitive form because he wants to get back to where the Fremen are, essentially. Right. He's so disheartened like, by what happened. They then. can do it. Why can't we do this? We used to be the good ones. Now, Arasham died a bitter man, feeling that he had never atoned for his sin. That just like cries villain right there. Oh, he's an evil genius, yeah. kind of. Yeah, I mean, he, he started an, an extremist group. I think that, that pretty much he does it for you. He old, bitter, and ripped. Yes. Oh, always. Oh, yeah. uh, right to the bitter end. Yeah, like a Master Roshi. Mm-hmm. Now, while the circumstances of his death are uncertain, one account indicates he died in 101-96 of wounds mm. received when he attacked Count and Lady Fenring. No, really? Which, Mike, you put out there, what if the Count sent him on that mission? That's his fault. He blames the Count. He blames the Count. So he attacked them at one point. Now, however, the time involved in his return, the writing of the Sadokar strike, and the formation of the final force make his death at such an early date unlikely. Another more acceptable acceptable record indicates he committed ritual suicide. So we get these indiscriminate I, records, yeah, thrown out. So either Sen, was it Senpuku? Excuse me? The Japanese ritual where you... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying the word I said to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. when you're scrolling through your notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I, I think like Senpuku, but you probably got the pronunciation, but right, sure. Um, I don't think he attacked the Count or anything. Because it says he died a bitter old man. Sure. This is three years after... Yeah. I so like how old I, was he on this planet? Yeah, yeah. I think you're entertaining two ideas. Like he would have done that taken a one you know, that yeah. one way trip. I'm going to do this last thing to get my exactly. whatever. Or I, I'm I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't think it would have succeeded. 
Yeah, at the very least. Well, no, he definitely didn't succeed. Even in this, he didn't succeed at the, attacking the count. The oh. count the count would have been who killed him at that moment. Yeah, uh, you just got to choose whichever one. So we can put both of those aside, though. We have one little bit. Uh, that's pretty much the end of my article on him. Obviously not much. Oh. Very short uh, presence. But, short little deep dive. I like that, though. Well, no, we end with this little bit, Mike. Some 100 years later, the final force unsuccessfully attempted to assassinate the emperor. What? Wait, what? What? He buries them in. Now, we will get to take a look at this uh, in reference to one of the books. It's never going to be a major scene or something like that, but obviously that's why it's in the encyclopedia. Oh. Basically, these two events, Frank, thing, this guy wove uh, Otto in between them to tie them together. Oh. And I think it makes a really cool image of like, and just fleshes out this like completely minor character who I, I don't know why they cared about him so much. I think that's really cool and interesting. I think maybe uh, some of our listeners that are more well-versed with the books will appreciate this more than I do. Yeah, they will. Because I feel they, like maybe down the road in a year, I'll be like, Derek! Oh, even, but like, hey, even in a month from now, Mike. I, I hate to say that it's falling flat on me a little bit because I want to like it so much. I know you do. Yeah, no, it, it is a little more for everybody else, but I knew you would at least appreciate the final force. The, the Sonicar Strike is his book. <laughs> uh, but that is the end of Captain Otto Armsham, Imperial Sonicar. That's kind of cool. So, so wait, you said you had two little things, though. Of course, Mike. I was thinking, that was too. That was too sweet. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I would have just put that in the chapter. Otherwise, the other one I felt was very uh, pertinent to this chapter: Seleucus Secundus as a prison planet. Oh. So um, we're just gonna walk through just literally from the opening of the doors until uh, hey, let's open the front gate. Yeah, Seleucus until like Secundus for all, right? Until we figured it out, and this became a perpetual motion machine. Oh. And now it just creates soldiers automatically, almost. Okay. So, so it did start as a prison planet then, I assume. Yes, it was very, it was literally, actually, you'll actually say it was an execution planet in a way, oh. uh, as it was just easier. Now, oh my God. the expansion of the Carino Empire was achieved through means that stopped short of annihilation of the conquered. This resulted in a large and steady stream of prisoners of war, refugees, and the discontented. So it's saying in the early days, we just let the Salakar roll out. And most of the time, they would just annihilate everybody. Mm -hmm. And then we started to be like, well, we save a few, you know, we'll capture them, we'll send some refugees in. So these people just start pouring in. And uh, we're going to jump basically into about the year 388 after Guild. Okay. So we're, you know, about yeah. 400 years in the establishment yeah. of everything. We, uh, and that's 300 years after House Carino uh, won the... Battle of Corin. Right, exactly. Because that's uh, at 80. Oh, yeah, right, right. Good job, Mike. Yeah. 80, 88 after Guild. Uh, so we're going to start with uh, Saudir al Harkonnen III. Now, he's the head of um, it's the Rautha house. So weird, man. Yeah, we're going that far back in time. So this actually isn't the Carino one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Carino has been uh, overthrown at this point. Right. And uh, it was just that was the start of House Carino, but the Carino wasn't the emperor at the time. House Carino is not the emperor right now. Right, exactly. No, yeah, like that was just where uh, House Carino took its namesake from. No, no, no. I'm telling. So within the emperors, yeah, we have a couple different houses of emperors. 
And right now, House Carino is de- dethroned entirely. Yeah. Oh. This guy is from House Ratha. Right, right, right. That's what I'm telling you. Like, it's a different imperial house mm-hmm. right now. And the Carino uh, is going to come back in the picture real soon. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. There's a lot of back and right, forth yeah. in the early empire. Give it to me. Give it People to me. get overthrown. Remember Monkey Bite? Um, <laughs> shit happens in the empire, Mike. <laughs> so, Rogue Monkey Bite <laughs> come out of nowhere. So we're going to call this guy Saudio the Third going third going forth okay right. now he usurped the throne at the end of the Li Shash confederation's rebellion yeah yeah you, what is that you don't know Li Shash confederation so this is uh remember back when we did the Sadokar history i told you there was one time when the Lanzarad got together and they attacked the Sadokar and it worked yeah. And we pushed them back a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the Lishash Confederation. Oh. So basically, these houses took exception both to Padishah's supremacy and a proposed division of shares increasing the emperor's votes in Chome. So this is an economic thing where the emperor is starting to like take a few more chome votes, a little more percentage my way. Okay. And they're like, no, we say this is this is heading towards monopoly. You're just icing right, us right, out right. of chome. They all get together. They slam into the Sadokar. Their first assault is successful. They push them back. They even capture a few Sadokar officers. This is a feat that would not happen again until the chapter you and I just read. That is to say, some 9,000 years later, another Sadakar officer got captured. Not not 9,000. It'd be... 101.91. We're 300 years in. Yeah. So So wouldn't that be like... It's like 9,800. 19,000? No. We're at 10,000. Oh, we're at 10,000. 10, yeah, yeah. We're, we're at like 9,000 and change. Sorry, dude. I, it's easy. Yeah. You skip 10 millennia, it happens all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Especially when you go 10 from the other millennia Yeah, side. it's wild. Yeah, after Guild's fucking weird, Mike. Uh, but so, that's what this uh, confederation was fighting against. And uh, after that, yeah, the Sadakar beat the shit out of them. They pound them all the way right. back into the beginning. So they get that one win, though, and they really love it. Um, and then after that rebellion, this is when Sadir comes onto the throne. Now, he's faced with the problem of dealing with the prisoners of war of his predecessors, which was this regent that he overthrew, right? And uh, Sadir, he reigns for only a year. But in that year, he designates Seleucus Secundus as a prison planet. And this proved uh, to be so expedient that the practice was later continued. Now, Sardir's motive was not humanitarian. He reasoned that Seleucus Secundus was a cheap executioner. Of like, Mike, it's just easier if we just put you all this place. You're all going to die. I'm like, we just drop you off and we don't think about it. That's like another world I know. That's all it was for the beginning. We just kept dropping people and never caring and not looking back. The the first penal colonies on the planet were concentration camps, providing only the barest necessities. Their populations consisted of people of every age and walk of life, but mostly of soldiers with a sprinkling of civic leaders, merchants, academics, and clerics. They they were generally hardy, as they needed to be to deal with Seleucid weather, and were buffered from the planet's marauding tribes by the Sadokar. So these concentration camps are, like, manned by the Sadokar, who do keep, like, there's native people on here who are just basically animals. They keep them roughly at bay. But other than that, it's, there's not much concern here for what happens on this planet. Until Wallach I is restored to the throne. 
Now, this guy had a wily ride, Mike. Uh, we are on his second restoration. He will be overthrown again to come back a third time. Uh, <laughs> that's how Wallach rolls. But for right now, uh, he comes to the throne after the assassination of Sadia III on New Year's Day in the year 390. And he decided to use the penal colony as an experimental laboratory. This is where it gets a little interesting. He knew the prisoners would not long survive if exposed to the depredations of the native tribes. But what if they were given weapons, Mike, and a little training? Okay. What if we put a little elbow grease in this machine? And uh, those who managed to carve out a niche, they wouldn't be abandoned anymore, but we would use them. Since economy was an important part of effective rule, why waste even prisoners if they might eventually be of service to the emperor? No. It's, it started. He's, he sees all the pieces already there. Wallach I therefore ordered the prisoners to be provided with training in the most ruthless fighting techniques and with an adequate, adequate supply of weapons. In the meantime, they were shielded by Sadokar troops. So we bring in a little bit more Sadokar. We increase that buffer around this camp. This concentration camp turns into a military camp. We're training. We're arming all these people. Now, although the Sadokar were later withdrawn, the prisoners never forgot the cold, hard men who had taught them so well and had saved their lives while they learned. Are you starting to see uh, some familiar plans? Just a little bit, just a little bit. A little bit. Descendants of the prisoners admired rather than hated the Sadokar. And when the colonists were given the opportunity to join them and thus leave Seleucus Secundus forever, the choice was easily made. The process is already done. That's how you create Sadokar, right? Mm -hmm. Now we got it. Now we can churn them out slowly but steadily. The penal development program was continued and augmented during the reign of Shuset II, Costin II. Shuset. Now, now, hold up. I just want to point out. This is a person. He has two names, each with um, a regal number beyond them. Okay. And it is subsequent. So I went through the list of emperors. Okay. And there is a point with uh, Henor gets a second last name. And there's Henor the first, Nagas the second, and then Henor the second, like Nagas the third. So like, oh. it is Shuset the second, Costin the second, but I don't understand why. And I couldn't find another example of a royal with two numbers attached to them. The closest thing I could find was when the, uh, the monarchies of England and Scotland were combined. James was James the fourth of England and the first of Scotland simultaneously and would oh. write his name out James the fourth and first. Interesting. Confusing. <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, no, no. I hear. It. I mean, if you don't have it explained to, yeah, that's like, yeah. Why did you do that? So yeah, so each of the monarchies all keep their Are separate. Just the no, fifth. A really cool one was um these the, one of the French kingdoms like going from like fifteen hundred on. It was based off of the work of a faulty historian. So their kings are all oh. misnumbered because they thought there was five kings before, but there just weren't. Oh, uh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, they didn't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> like some doctor. Who shit right there. Yeah, yeah. So it's something that we found out later, being like, well, we can't really account for these guys. So uh, I think you just got it wrong and you guys chose a random number. Maybe showing that the whole system is bullshit. That's wild, actually. Yeah. So with our shoe set the second, cost in the second, he uh, comes in and uh, starts changing this penal colony around. 
And he kept a close eye on the mortality rates, Mike. That's what he cued in on. He okay. started seeing a problem. of like, ooh, they're really, really high. So. Uh, Put in some rules. With such, well, uh, you know what his rule is? Mm. Uh, for how high that is, I need to get that morning more prisoners on that planet. No, uh, that's, <laughs> ooh, no. No, you think he misread the situation? Yeah, we got to offset that birth rate factor. Or the death rate, I guess, is what we're going Instead for. Of putting the band on it, I'm just like, just make the cut bigger. <laughs> so he raged several campaigns in the galaxy with the sole purpose of gathering prisoners oh to offset the losses. That's why he did that? Yep. Holy shit. He's a jerk. Now, the new transportees were fierce, semi-civilized captives from outlying planets who challenged and tested the descendants of the original concentration camps. So now we're making a really weird uh, turducken here where there's crazy, <laughs> crazy tribes on the outside. We have the OK tribe we put in and we're putting like harder people in the middle now and just being like, figure it out. Um, the barbarians gained control of the colony after sharp but brief struggles. Thereafter, prison populations were largely composed of far-worlders, as they were called. Oh. That's like a new phrase, right? Yeah. We've had outworlders, far-worlders. That's like the rim, you know? Right. Like whatever you would call the edge of like uh, wherever I am, civilization. It's not home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, when the penal colonies appeared to have stabilized, the protective Sadokar forces withdrew. And the colonists were beset on all sides by the tribes. Their bloody trial was the more severe because it was not training, but the reality of the planet which they now faced. So training wheels were on before, Mike. They're off. Now it's a real prison planet. Eventually, the colonists, led by the strongest and constantly reinforced by desperate warlike captives, managed to fight off tribal raids. In the process, they had become cruder and more merciless than their attackers, finally initiating their own preemptive or plundering raids. So, we've reached a tipping point now. Now, it's not the tribes that are picking on them. We're picking on the tribes. Oh, my God. It's just like, you imagine, like, everyone's aware of this situation on this planet. It's like, oh, this is really you know, not tenable. You there's, like, a scientist up there, like, this is really fascinating. Loving it. Yeah. Love it. Shuset is reading every, Shuset the second, Costin the second, I'll give his full name, reading every report there's he gets. There's got to be, like, an anthropologist in charge, right? A planetologist, maybe? Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> um... It was no accident, but a carefully administrative plan that made the colonists, like the Sardau before them, the strongest force on Seleucus Secundus. It was precisely the controlled anarchy of the planet that produced superior warriors. Tribal aggressions thus became imperial schools. I like That's that. That's really good. Yeah, you always end up coming full circle in sci-fi. Uh, we were talking before of like within the expanse. I told you they got to the point where these outer world people are just throwing rocks back at Earth now. That's how we're back to fighting because you can oh cause such God. devastation. Like this, the highest military academy is just a barbarian tribe on a backworld planet hidden from the Imperium. That's how you get the best <laughs> warrior, Mike. That's so wild, though, to think about, but... I mean, like, we see it with the Fremen. Yeah. And so this it's not end. that hard to, like, imagine at that point. No, yeah. Frank ma just, Frank makes a good case for it. Did we ever get to, like, uh, explore more about what Solosa Secundus is like? Like, what's the vegetation like? Mm -hmm. Is it, like, a, a waste world? Like, what do we actually see? Not particularly. Outside of, like, knowing sugar wires from there and a few things. Yeah, it's it from sounds planet as well. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, primarily from there, and they export it to another planet um, so they can grow on. And I believe that it's more of a jungly, turbulent world than is mm. like Arrakis is sort of like a monoclimate kind of world because uh, it seems like there are storms and such on Seleucus, but I'm not sure. I get to my final paragraph here. The finest warriors forged in this smithy were drafted into the Sadokar, filling the imperial need for soldiers through thousands of years. And the chief irony of this very successful plan was that in time the colonists supported with their lives the very monarchy that had, prison- that had imprisoned their ancestors. Wait, what? That just like the they're backing the imperial house. The imperial house is the only reason they were put okay, there, okay. right? That that one shasut went out and imprisoned. Well, all how many the generations sh- did it take to get to that point? Though? Thousands and thousands. Like they like, probably like it's not even the same like empire. No, what do you mean? It's still the same empire. Well, it's like not the same person in charge. Like how different no, yeah, houses yeah, take yeah, charge yeah, of it. Yeah, like, sure, sure. From when it started, like who's gonna be like? It's the fact that they never had a choice. Though. They, they don't have a they never had a memory. choice. They're not or a like chance. thinking like, oh, like I got a grudge against them. They can't look back at their histories. Nope. You could also point out that um, throughout the entire history of uh, the empire, who is in charge of the Imperium has never affected Seleucus Secundus. That's an interesting point. There is no Imperium as far as Seleucus Secundus goes. They're just like a hound on a chain, pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. That's, they aren't they geez. aren't they don't know the hand that feeds them. That's scary. But I, I think that man's point the Arthur's point still stands of mm. just like the irony here of that like it's again being the whole point of how the Sodakar system works, where like they oppress you because they bring you they bring you into the ranks and tell you we made you special. You go, ah, this was necessary. This had mm. to be kind of deal, and you're in. Now, I get some references for these books every now and then, Mike. Okay. That oh, the yeah. encyclopedia throws in now. Yeah, give me some names. Sure, sure. I have the fist of Varna. From Trove to Seleucus Secundus to the Throne by Nestor Haizaral. Then I got another book, Mike. Sadokar Victorious. That's translated by Sir Dawade Gilvis. And uh, do you know who the original author is? No. Otto Aramsham. Oh! No! Oh! He wrote a few books, Mike. He brought it back! He is in every Sadokar article. He gets a little <laughs> credit in it, Otto Aramsham. So I got some things to say. I got some. <laughs> oh, oh, you're taking two cents? Here's mine. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, I thought you That's why I wanted that's to put it. That's really good. Yeah. I'm glad you did that now. Yeah, that's, that's the whole point of all that. My, my game has been revealed. And that is all I got for our deep dives for the day. Well done. I Thank really you. appreciated that, Thank Derek. Uh, I got a quick question, like, oh, yeah. like maybe off topic. Like, sure. Shoot. Um, I think I may have asked this maybe like 30 episodes back, but if uh, Sardaukar has like sugar wire, like embedded in some of their hairs and it's strong enough to grout a person, mm-hmm. how do you shave it off of them? Uh, oh, sugar wire clippers. Does everyone just have that handy? I don't know. Maybe you just like pull a piece of sugar wire over their scalp. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Well, I feel like you'll just take off their scalp, though. I think that's probably yeah. Oh, I don't think you're concerned at that point when you're trying to de-sugar wire a so sardaukar. In quotes, when we say shave a sardaukar, we're just like flaying them. Sure, that's how we make mood drums. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well played. That was I got, good. I got a whole <laughs> drum kit. I got to do. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Ringo Fremen. <laughs> I love Ringo. 
But you know what? Yeah. No more time for Beatles. Because it's time for Daniel Dune Gazetteer. Dun, 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 dun. We take a look at the stars and planets of Frank Herbert. The stars. Dune. The stars. A Gazetteer by Joseph M. Daniels. And uh, what do you, what do you, where are we going today? Well, I got a fun one. Uh, There's so many stars to choose from. I, mean, like, I got a lot of things I could say right now. But I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go into my, <clears throat> my spaceways here. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. System data. Star designation, Gamma Piscium, a.k.a. White Ping. Star name, none. Distance from old Earth, 130.9 light years. Spectral type, G73, yellow giant. Magnitude, 3.7. Absolute magnitude, 0.68. Known planets, Seleucus Secundus. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So they, they don't know what star <laughs> it's around? Well, it doesn't have a name, but they know what star it is designated as. Okay. Which is weird because it's designated. It's got a designation, and it's also known as a different name, but it technically doesn't have a name. I, I, think well, that's, I assume he's like a Dune name, right? I think that's the thing. Like, there's the Dune name, and then there's the actual designated star name. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. No, 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 that makes total sense to me because Frank does take liberty with some of them. So yeah, I, I can see why Dan deal with like hardcore separate. We that found off. from the Gazetteer, he takes from some constellations, like the uh, the star name, mm. but we'll take planet names or something from a different constellation. Uh, so like he, he picks and chooses. He makes his own little universe. Yes, yes, very much and so. And who knows, within uh, 20, 30 millennia, Maybe maybe the stars do sort of do some Ooh, weird shit. Oh, I don't know. Rogue planets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They well, get... We already know that some of our uh, constellations, some of the things we look at, stars will actually change location within constellations. So we'll mm-hmm. know like, oh, that used to be in Gemini, but it's actually part of Orion now. Ah, that's so really cool. Who knows? A lot could happen. Love it. And we're pulling from like four thousand years from our own history to make that assumption for present time in Dune. Um, for us talking about constellations, like oh, shifting, oh, just, changing. just con- yeah, yeah, yeah our frame of reference. We usually take it from the pyramids and like ancient yeah. Greece. Yeah, I got you. And then we're saying like, and then adding now, Dune is like the twenty thousand years yeah, that's further to the extreme. Yeah. So like, so, I, I, I don't think uh, I like it. Yeah, it works quite as well as maybe he thinks because I don't know. It, his his map of the uh, Imperium is a little wonky in my sure. mind. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so take us into Seleucus then. So as usual we got three parts here starting out with history now a lot of this we've already talked about this is just going to be a quick recap so half the zensuni of portrin were forced to migrate to seleucus secundus in 4492 ag they were to be slaves on this planet for nine generations mm-hmm. seleucus secundus was a planet of such harshness that it was capable of producing the sardaukar soldier fanatics of carino emperors and indeed the house carino itself which is that true? It produced House Carino? I don't think it is. Read it, read it back one more time. Planet of such heartlessness, it was capable of producing the Sardaukar soldier fanatics of the Carino emperors and, indeed, the House Carino itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Sardaukar are solely responsible for the formation of House Carino. Like, they're, that's why they won that battle. Oh, so this was... Wait... I thought that it was a prison planet 300 years after this battle. The Sardau are what... Beca- oh, the Sardau. 
Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. So, so Sadokar are like the natural process of that planet. Gotcha. Then we turned it into a prison planet. But it was like the Carinos dominated it, or well, I guess whatever their old name was before right. they took the Carino name. Oh, yes. I remember what it was. Actually, uh, Shu said. Oh, so it was just, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, he, yeah, I gotcha. How's, well, that was that was like his name. Yeah. Was that his last name before? It was Emperor Shu said. Or not Emperor Shusei. Right, so Emperor, he's already Carino. You see what I'm saying? Oh, like, you're right. He yeah, takes yeah, yeah. that as his first name. So I'd, I'm, I'm wondering if they had another house name or something. But yeah, it was nonetheless, weird. they like, we're calling it Carino and uh, clean slate. All right. All right. Um, so I'll give him that then. Um, and of course, we know that the Imperial Court has long been removed from Seleucus Secundus to Kaitan. So it did used to be on Seleucus Secundus. Ooh, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, um, so this was prior to it being a prison planet. Though. You think there's one nice building on Seleucus Secunda still? <laughs> no. <laughs> one imperial No, it's in no, okay. it's, it's, trash. it's trash. We bombed it. I think that was the general church was like, fuck you! <laughs> yeah. Like, kick it down. Um, but, as such, this hellish place contributed its share to the evolution of the Fremen of Dune and the Fadaikin of Moadib as well. Mm-hmm. Granted, I think... Paul himself had a much bigger influence on why the Fadaikin were stronger than... Well, it, I think it's the shaping of the Zensuni, right? Like, they never forgot the lessons they learned with the right, Sarkar. Because right, right. remember, once they were on... Kyle, what legion was that? What legion of... He wanted to know what legion oh, yeah, of Sarkar. Yeah, oh, yeah, he did want to know exactly what And we one. were kind of attributing there must be, like, some lingering memories that they're holding on to. True, because they can always ask the Ramala, like, hey, yeah, is that the way? Like, Take a look, look back there. <laughs> tell, tell me about the Sarkar I feel like past. they would hold up. Was it him? Was it this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Throws a badge on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Now, Seleucus Secundus and Dune were, in fact, analogous. As Seleucus Secundus was to the Sardaukar and House Carino, so Dune to the Fremen of the Jihad and House Atreides. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, exactly. Because we know that like they're going to be the fanatics sort of like pushing this on. Yep. Hey, I mean, even I think even Frank has made that very clear. Oh, very us, clear. Right? Like, we've very much been pushing this well, uh, comparison. Yeah, he, he would have had to kill every Fremen in that cave in order to stop it. Yep. Including his mother. And himself, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, first, ultimately himself, too. First and foremost. Yeah, Paul's the most important one in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing this, we understand more than most will grasp in the time of Shaddam IV. In fact, it will be a dangerous secret. Thufir Hawat asked the question, were there people on Seleucus Secundus before the emperor sent his first contingent of prisoners there? Mm. Even the Duke Leto, a cousin of the distaff side, never knew for sure. He was but trying to lead the Baron Harkonnen into drawing the proper conclusions about the role this planet had played in galactic history, and understanding how badly the Baron had erred in his interview with Count Fenring two years before. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, like, Baron made a big oopsie. Uh, yeah, the Catastrophic. Yeah. It might have cost him the war. Yeah. yeah. His house. His yeah, planet, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Everything. Exactly. He, I mean, he wagered it all in this war. Yeah, Enough so that, the like, I'm pretty sure Count Fenring is just like, hey, Senecar, you guys want to go undercover for a while? Want to like, go back to Dune? Airsham, I have a job for you. <laughs> I trust you with my life. <laughs> <laughs> take, take my knife. 
Oh, wouldn't that be cool if that, that was his that name? Would, uh, I, it, it, there's no way it is. It'd be That's that dumb. mix of like either too cool or too small of a world, and it would like ride the line on the it. The encyclopedia makes it like too small. Of a yeah, world, yeah. So always. Like, I would kind of just love that little side story. I sure, it'd sure. be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. We're gonna get more into my side of things here with the etymology. Ooh, okay, good, good. Something new. Something new. Now, there's a couple of things here to talk about. Its planetary name clearly implies that, like uh, KD Prime and Arrakis, Seleucus Secundus was named after a star. Oh, okay. Why is that? Well, because it is uh, Latin. Secundus is Latin for second, uh, sometimes used with the lesser of two components of a binary star. Okay. But wouldn't that be like the second star would be the Secundus in a binary system? Yeah. But we're naming it as a planet. Exactly. But well, that's why we're suggesting it might have been named after a star because it has Secundus in its name. And oh, it's not oh, the oh, second I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You say Frank took a, like an existing name? Exactly. Gotcha. And here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Because Secundus, it's the third planet from the star. It's not the second. Oh, okay. So okay. why would you have second there? He took this name from something that already existed. Okay. Yeah. So... Moving on, on the surface of it, and we'll continue onward with uh, Daniel Cesari is going to sort of go into this a bit more. On the surface of it, Seleucia appeared to be a Latin noun, such as nada, which takes the masculine gender, but is in a normally feminine declension. Um, now, I don't really know too much about uh, grammar when it comes to foreign languages out mm -hmm. there. I get lost and mixed up, and that's why I don't really speak great German. All right. Well, wait, what are you lost in here? Because basically it's the same. It's got the female ending to the word. So it's ending like in an A. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes the masculine gender, but in a normally feminine declension. Oh, so okay. So he's basically gotcha. mismatching yeah, yeah, yeah. like grammar and words together. I love it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so thus, it has an A ending itself, while its adjective secundus has the normal masculine us ending. So, uh, and us. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're taking, like, a masculine-feminine thing and putting them together. Yeah. Now, there's a Latin noun, salus, meaning healthful. Nice irony, that, says Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> but is a feminine noun of another declension. And it's kind of interesting because he goes on to say, Herbert knew his Latin. I think so. Yeah. I mean, again, I, like, Roman Empire, I feel exactly. like. Him taking his roots, he definitely was like, there are two things that exist. Mm -hmm. Persia and Rome. I will now, go from there. The last bit of naming here, which is going to sort of uh, segue us into our place in space. Ooh. It's true, however, that the constellation Aries was known among the Jews as Salish, variant Salisha, the name of some sort of musical instrument, which Herbert was aware of this for the planet Chusik is said to circle Theta Salish. Oh, damn, which is where we get our ballast expert. Exactly. Gurney Halleck. Isn't that kind of cool? That now, is really cool. Going into our place in space. Now, I already said earlier in our uh, system data, it's Pisces. It's from the Pisces constellation. Yes. Uh, I think, what, what did I say exactly verbatim? It was uh, Gamma Piscium. Oh, I only heard it through the robot voice. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to understand sometimes. But we're going with Gamma Aridas, which is what I think the uh, actual star is based off of. Okay. It is a well-known binary star and one of the earliest to be discovered. Oh, that's really cool. It is really cool. Gamma 2 Aretas is a star with a magnitude of 3.88 at about 204.4 light years distance from old Earth. 
It is, I say old earth. We're talking about our astronomy <laughs> from earth. From earth. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Now, if it can be taken to be Gamma Shalisha Secundus, then we possibly have our namesake for Seleucus Secundus. Oh, shit. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that is kind of neat, actually. There's other evidence that Herbert truncated names in this fashion. I don't understand this. No doubt to the outrage of the Princess Wensitia. Wensia. Wensia? Yeah. I... I have always read that as Wensia. Yeah, it's Wensitia. Yeah. Um, I can probably... Let me go pronounce. Ooh, not when it autocorrects to website. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Princess website. Website. (laughs) Website. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, It doesn't look like there are any great matches for your search. All right. Uh, Probably another Frank original. Oh, oh, wait. Wensia Carino. Wensitia. Not gonna be able to do it. Wensisi right. is a better sounding name, probably. Yeah, but again, we're yeah, no, you're, it's fine. you're trying no. to override like a decade of uh, Vatican. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know why she would be outraged by this, but uh, it's who is it that's outraged? Uh, Wensisia. Just people are gonna appreciate. It's that. a princess Wensisia. Okay. Okay. And uh, it, it he goes on to say, like for example, in earlier. Planetary data systems like Ix and Ritchie's, Eridani A was an example. Mm-hmm. Like instead of uh, Eridanus, we just went with Eridani. Okay. Oh, wait. Uh, hold on. Just go back to like, it's, so is she offended about something to do with the Sato car? Uh, the truncation of names. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know why that's important. Mm, yeah. I'm like stretching for, I could see it. I could see it, but uh, I, I am missing it myself. But let's go on because I don't, I can't tell you, obviously. Yeah. As I previously mentioned, Seleucus Secundus is the third planet of Gamma Yping. Yping can be translated to a rolled screen, but it's also a <laughs> very yeah, it's also a variant Chinese name for part of the constellation of Pisces. Oh uh, we, wow, bringing us all the way back, all the way back. Yeah, Why yeah. we went from Piscium, and that's why I mentioned that. Now this indicates that Herbert not only used variant names for constellations, but also sometimes used names that applied to some asterium within the constellation to describe the whole a form of ooh synecdoch. I need I need a pronunciation. Uh, is of this. this a name or is this a thing? It's a thing. S Y N yeah E C D yeah O C H E synecdoch is what I would think. Okay, here we go. Jesus Christ! Wait, isn't that a town in New York? Maybe? A figure of speech in which part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. As in, Cleveland won by six runs. A figure that... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, so Cleveland meaning the baseball team. The base- okay, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> Not when you don't care about baseball. I just love the examples such as Cleveland won the baseball game. <laughs> no, one by six runs. <laughs> Where's the example? Synecdoche. All right, I'm going to... Uh, let me just reread that real quick. This indicates that Herbert not only used variant names for constellations, but also sometimes used names that applied to some asterism within the constellation to describe the whole A form of synecdoche. So what this is basically saying is that like because my jaw is just on the floor. I'm like, ah. <laughs> he's using like he's using variations of constellation names mm-hmm. to, uh, applied to some like grouping of stars within a constellation to represent that. 
Okay, so he's just sort of like changing he, around. I'll be like, this is the constellation like, now. I wanted to make it mine and original. I'm but, not just going to take these. I'm going to be like, I like this star name. I'm just going to take it and change it to this because in this language it means this. And I'm just going to go ahead and make it represent this area and this constellation yeah. instead. Love, he's like, these two cultures had similar ideas. If they would have just put it together, this would be a better constellation. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We just got to swap <laughs> out some bells and whistles. Yeah. This is a... Uh, I don't know, because he's a scientist. Daniels is on point. But I think it's funny, and uh, it, it just makes me think of, like, uh, like you in your high school, you want to make sure you don't plagiarize or anything. You know, they're going to get you in trouble for that. It's just like, you just change a name. Ooh, you just change a word. Oh, no, Mike. I was a big fan of what I patented called reverse citation. Reverse citation. You write it out, you then look it up, and then you find your source. Ah. And then you put it in. And then you can't plagiarize, because you never had it. <laughs> This is genius. You got me through many a paper. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So moving on, Daniel's giving us some uh, interesting ideas there. One may also note that Herbert makes reference to the golden light of Seleucus Secundus. This is at least not in contradiction to the spectral type of Gamma Piscium. Hey, that's so not bad. I feel like he there. I feel like he locked into that one, but yeah, uh, yeah but <laughs> I gotta give it to him. He probably meant something else, and then it's just like, oh, that was lucky. Yeah, props. But uh, he can't argue against it at the very least. No. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Pisces the fish is a zodiacal sign, and the constellation is now where the sun is found at the vernal equinox. The procession of the equinoxes having deprived Aries of the honor held during ancient times. <laughs> because they shift in that, like, 4,000 years? Exactly. I, I have heard about this where, like, um, they, uh, they were talking about how I think even Babylon at a time had to, like, realign their zodiac and be like, ah, it's this now, and mm. change it up a little bit because it shifted over, like, a 1,000 years. Yeah. yeah, that is super neat. And they're just not exactly where they were in the sky. We're back. And, oh, it was something for, like, figuring out your ancient birth sign is different than your current one. That was it. Like, you're, the, oh. the month of the zodiac is different than it was back in Babylon. Right. So, like, a Taurus from then is not a Taurus now because the stars change. Right. In how they cross over the sun. Awesome. Very cool. It's interesting, too, because, like, I have my own uh, thoughts on the Atreides name and where it came from. But, obviously, we haven't gotten to Caladan yet to see, like, where that goes i think the kaladin entry is very big so i'll save that oh, okay okay but uh, my guess is that it's a combination of aries and uh the pleiades you're thinking it's stars yeah or constellations okay i was always under the impression it's from uh atreus in greek shit it could With, be that like there is a house atreus yeah that comes from Agamemnon. Yeah, that's probably more likely the case. But I'll give your time to credence. Don't worry. Hey, you know what? Fine. Hey. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Damn it. You know, no. You know what, Mike? Ultimately, I learned that from Brian Herbert. So who knows? Whoa! Throw it completely out. Daniels, don't let me down when we get there. But <laughs> that's what I have for Seleucus Secundus. Oh, dude, that was great. Hey! We had a really uh, Sonicar-themed day. We did. That was. I did not think we were going to go so heavy into like the big muscles and tight clothing. It, it's very whiplash from Ladies' Night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, now we're in the gay bar with the Sonicar. Magic Mike with Sonicar. Yeah. <laughs> God, those men are buff. <laughs> Who knows where they came from, though? Probably on the Pee Wee team. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Do we have anyone calling in this week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Open up that door right oh. there. And he's uh, he's waiting for Kambi. Come on in, buddy. Flora, flora. No, no. Don't go to Kennedy. <laughs> no. 
Uh, we were going to do another grand entrance. Yeah. But for some reason, someone slashed the RC car tires. I'm not sure what, how that happened. Was, was that the producer? It's probably the producer. I, I haven't seen him lately. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's weird. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Giovanni, you're not, you don't, t- don't tell anybody. Uh, I take out the ED tube. And we, oh, my God. Look at message. Oh, oh, we got to change the subject all of a sudden. What oh, a shame. Shit. Wow, all right. Uh, I think, ooh, oh, it's only got one little message in here, though. All right. We have uh, Matt H. on Instagram. This, this was a cool one. He recently bought the VHS of 1984, David Lynch's Dune. I don't know why he got a VHS. I don't know how well, he... Why not? I just don't know how he's going to play it. Uh, <laughs> that, that's all. This is just a technical concern on my part. But within the VHS, if you open that bad boy up, he has a booklet with the glossary words came with it. Oh. And he sent us like a quick little, like, it's a little vid flicking through. It looks like there's 10 pages or so in there. Oh, my God. It's a pretty compact little book. That's uh, just the glossary. It's like, and it, it looked like the entire glossary uh, jammed in. He said it goes on for a little while. Like, he knew they gave him, like, the two sheet. Yeah. This looks like a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, hilarious. So, I don't know if that's the old version of the movie. Clear, it can't be. Because, like, in theaters, no, they gave everyone a pamphlet. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, they're not making new VHS. So this must be an old VHS. <laughs> What am I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but really interesting. It's got the cover artwork from the movie on yeah, it. Yeah. Like, it looks great. Do those come in every VHS? They must. Uh, go buy one and find out. If I you can, find, if you can mean, find a sealed one. If uh, you can find a, that's probably it, a sealed one. I yeah. bet most people get them like used now. So, But with how that movie was received, there might be a good number of sealed dunes out there. That, uh, <laughs> oh, you can no. David Lynch tried to take his name off it, Mike. Like, I heard a lot of people have their introduction to Dune through that film, though. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Hey, it, it's well, it's a cult classic at this point too. Mm-hmm. So you always got that going for it. But I, I think it's really great. And maybe uh, I'll look into getting a VHS for my collection. I got that little uh, ah. D- Dune stuff uh, piling up on the shelf. So I will probably not. <laughs> I think I'll <laughs> pass on that. I'll have a copy in like a drive somewhere on my computer and be like, that's good enough. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. A text document with the glossary. <laughs> that's all you really <laughs> that's need. That's all I really need. It's sort of like the real thing. Yeah. Uh, here, let me, Giovanni, let me give you a little wine here. Oh, oh sorry, that's gin. Oh. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, hey, you figured out the mystery drink. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, do you uh, do you have anything else you want to get? That's out of it for me. Uh, does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys uh, perhaps know a wine that we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you guys can always send us a distrans at spiceworldpod at gmail.com. And of course, there's our website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at our little CH on patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. That's where you can find our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes like Ampliros, Guild Highliners, and Norma Sevna. Uh, with Aurelius Venport. And if I, if, if we, I got the we, name we right that time. We a couple more on there, but like I can't remember them all off the top of my head. They're doing great. And if you guys go over to Spice World Pod and you sign up at Patreon, you can uh, make your own name like Desert Power and uh, <laughs> really grind my gears every time that comes up. <laughs> I, I love that. Desert Power. Yeah. I mean, I walked right into it when I let you guys know how much I hated it. I'm glad they're part of the sea edge. It's pretty good. They're always there glaring at me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, what I want to know. Yeah. What, what is that? The chapters are getting like hard and heavy right now. Yeah. What's coming up next week? Well, there's only a few things left. Where, where do you think we're going into next week? You got any, any inkling of a feeling? 
And I want to say, I want a perspective from either probably the Beast. Okay, because I was going to say, pretty much like, tell me, yeah, do you think we're switching characters? We staying with Paul? Or where, well, we where's your went, heart's we desire? We just went into, like, uh, Gurney's perspective. I want to get someone else's perspective as, like, the Fremen coming in. You think we're constantly churning in yeah. new people? Yeah, we've done sort of, like, it went, like, maybe, like, Paul, Jessica, kind of a Stilgar chapter into a Gurney. How many and chapters like, do we have left? Five. Five. All right, last one, probably... Mm, I want to say like a showdown with like the Baron or the Emperor. Okay. Our two big dogs. Uh, prior to that, probably like the uh, Navigators. We know we got to like talk to them at some point here. All right. We got to figure out some guild shit. Some guild shit. At least um, three. I just, I want to see a battle between uh, the Beast or Bon and Gurney Halleck. Okay. Two. Oh, man. I don't know. All right. I don't know. Well, let me. Oh, uh... Lady Jessica. We got to know what's going on with her. You She's know, got a plan. We need to know what's going on in her mind. It'd be nice if her and Paul talked about Paul's power. They won't do Just that. throwing that out there. <clears throat> but we are going to stay in Sietch. Paul's got some business to tend to. So let me read out his message here. All right. So, Paul said, we come to this. He lifted the message cylinder, removed its scrap of tape. This was taken from a Harkonnen courier. Its authenticity is beyond question. It is addressed to Raban. It tells him that his request for new troops is denied, that his spice harvest is far below quota, that he must wring more spice from Arrakis with the people he has. That's all I oh. got. Now, this is a rallying cry. It is a rallying cry. That is how I do. Yeah, he's addressing the Chamber of Fremen at this point. Ooh. He's making a case for something. But Mike, let's set all that aside. He is at the end of Thufir's plot now. Yeah. This this isn't like a chance. This wasn't happenstance. They didn't get this. This was meant to be uh, captured. Right. Now, right. it might not have been meant for the Fremen, but nonetheless, you know this is what Hawat wants. Right. Hawat doesn't know he's down here. Oh, man. We might be walking in to like everybody converging, not knowing who the other is. <laughs> everybody shows up in a still suit and stabs the person to their left. Oh, like, that's the kind of situation we're really Wild. building up to. Oh my God, I can't wait. Well, I think you're going to have to wait, Mike, because until then, the, the spice, spice must flow. there's one thing you and I know more than anything else, and we've covered every episode we go through, it's that I Spice Mud... No! 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 <laughs> I'm so offended. I'm so upset. I don't even want to say it. No! 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 no, no, no. Start it over again. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you really deflated me. Right, you're going to have to cut it in. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yeah. yeah.
Dune and the Art of uh, Ornithopter Maintenance. Oh no, I was gonna say Maker oh. Hook Maintenance. Okay, I think Ornithopter is better. Ornithopter Maintenance is good. I feel like the beginning needs a twist. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. Dune in the Art of Ornithopter. No, no, I feel like. Sensuni in the art of Sensuni, <laughs> holy shit! Why do we miss that? I, I knew there was something there, Mike. God damn it! Well, there's my dead drop. Okay. 